Welcome new and old friends. Today we're going on a ghostly trip. We're going to start with Ghosts or Paranormal Stories Volume 1 and go all the way to 10. This way you have something spine-chillingly scary to listen to as you're doing things. If you're listening on a platform that lets you, please rate this podcast and leave a comment. Now, with all that being said... Turn off your lights. Make sure your doors and windows are locked. Things are about to get spooky. My neighbor called the police after he heard screams of help from my apartment. But I was smart enough to have a talking parrot so he could mimic what he heard from my basement. Creepy Condo Unit by Cheesecake Frequent 18. Hi, I just need your advice on how to handle this. Me and my boyfriend moved in last July to this condo in Pininyake. This is for a one-year lease contract. This unit is very cheap for its space. Usually, a 35 square meter unit costs about 15 to 20k monthly. And we got this for 12k only. It was actually okay during our first month's stay. But then, on our second month, the vibes got really dark and bad. It was like we're living in darkness, like we're in a creepy dark web video, but in real life. I've experienced this for three weeks, and I didn't tell my partner, because I didn't want him to freak out or anything since he barely gets sleep and needs to take meds just to sleep. Then, last night, he went outside. He started opening up about it. I never knew that he was feeling the same. He said he was having dark, creepy vibes when we go inside the unit. He also admitted that there are random moments where in there's something provoking him to commit suicide slash jump out of the trellis, even if he doesn't have any problems, which is the same with me. I was having random visions where I would jump out of the trellis even though I'm busy working at the time. That happened many times. It was like there's something whispering slash provoking us to jump. Take note, our unit is on the highest floor of the building. Here comes the worst part. Brace yourself. I was having thoughts last week to killing and dismembering my boyfriend. I'm not that kind of person. I'm one of the soft-hearted persons, and I know myself that I cannot do evil such as that. We didn't fight or anything at that time. We were really okay. We already have been living together for three years now. That's the weird part there. It was like it was controlling my thoughts. That's why for two weeks I was sleeping in the other bed because I was scared that I can harm him. I told him about the reason why I'm doing it, and I'm just praying by heart to remove those thoughts. 
There was also this scenario that we both experienced. He said that whenever he glanced at the mirror, he seen that his eyes were different, like demonic eyes, and he was like smiling at the mirror's reflection even though he's not. And I was experiencing that for weeks. That's why I was always avoiding to look at the mirror. The unit is full of mirror walls, so wherever you look, you would see your reflection. We would also feel that there was someone looking at us whenever we were very quiet. We were very freaked out last night when we learned that we were experiencing and feeling the same. We told the guard about it, and he accompanied us to our unit to get our stuff. The guard said out of the 40 units on the floor, there are only three units that are occupied, and no one is living beside our unit, so he doesn't know where the knocking slash thumping sounds from the sidewalls are coming from. We went to my family's house to spend the night. We're going to talk to the unit owner today. We're not sure if she would believe us or if she would consider that a valid reason for us to move out of the unit. According to the contract, the three months advance payment slash deposit would be forfeit if we move out since the contract is for a year. What reason should we tell the owner? Please help. My mom started to scold me and tell me that I had to stop being so dependent on them for money and learn how to finally be adult before hanging up on me. The kidnapper gave me a sympathetic look as he prepared to cut off another one of my fingers. A spirit told me in a dream that I had an item of voodoo hidden in my home. By MKUltra Neuralink. This is my first post and first time telling this true paranormal encounter I had. So I was sleeping in my bed a few years ago. I lived up in the mountains by the border of a national forest. I was home alone all summer, and I would sleep a lot of the days away up here in the quiet mountains of a small, unincorporated neighborhood. One day, I had a very vivid dream. Sometimes, I would get sleep paralysis, where I would see shadow beings stand by my bed trying to attack me. But this time, standing by my bed was a regular man. His style looked like he was from the 1970s. He was a regular-looking man, maybe in his mid-twenties? An African-American man who was wearing a red t-shirt and blue jeans. In my dream, he was standing by my bedside, talking to me. I could make out what he was saying as he pointed up to the top shelf of my closet. From his mouth came the words... You might want to get rid of that voodoo. Pointing, I immediately woke up and wanted to see if it was just a dream. I stood up to look to see where he was pointing in my closet. I wanted to know once and for all if all this was in my head or if there was truth to the paranormal world. 
Searching the back of the closet where he had pointed at first, I found nothing because I had never used that top shelf since moving into the home. But reaching behind the shelf, I found something hidden intentionally behind the middle plank of the shelf wood. And I pulled up a rolled up scroll of paper and out of it fell a lock of braided golden hair. The rolled-up paper had something written on it with a very faint pencil in another language of cursive writing that I couldn't quite read and strange symbols. I had finally found physical, tangible proof of the paranormal realm, meaning I had indeed just contacted a spirit. And this wasn't just a dream. After some research, I found out this braided lock of hair hidden in the home is what they call a witch's ladder, and is indeed black magic. This African-American spirit had revealed to me that voodoo is a real power in our universe, and this has had such a profound implications, it's changed the way I look at the world. The spirit said one more thing before leaving. He told me that the heavy metal t-shirts and posters I had in my room had evil power to them. And his final message before leaving was, Jesus is king. And he told me to keep playing the guitar. As he left, he morphed into a spirit animal like Black Panther of gemstones. As for the lock of hair, unfortunately, I put it in a Ziploc bag. I wanted to study its power. I finally had proof of the paranormal realm. I couldn't just throw it away. I wanted to see if I could take it to a laboratory to be studied, and if it radiates any strange electric magnetic field. Imagine if we could actually measure black magic. This would be the greatest discovery of our time. This could be the ultimate secret weapon used against mankind, especially from high sorcerers or witchcraft practitioners in the government or corporations. And yes, I can provide pictures if that would help, but some of you will just never believe me, especially because of the Jesus part of the story. Anyways, thank you for your time. I did try to keep this short. And sadly, the picture has been taken down. I woke up in cold sweat and let out a scream after I had a nightmare about someone breaking into my house. My roommate came in to check up on me, and that's when I realized I don't have a roommate. I moved into an old house and something is trying, poorly, to mimic my cat. By Queen Osmodeus. I moved to my current address just a few months ago, and as my family and I were moving in, our upstairs neighbor told us that the house is fairly active for paranormal activity. I didn't really know what to think. I don't consider myself a skeptic or a believer, but there are truly no explanations for the things I've experienced. 
The first big experience I had in the house was a few days after we started moving in. We were only moving from another city over, so we decided to kind of take our time with the move. My mom and brother had taken the U-Haul back to the apartment to load up belongings while I stayed behind and started moving the boxes into rooms. I was moving the boxes from the living room into the kitchen when I looked up to look out the window. I found a man in an old black suit and hat walking down the sidewalk to the backyard. He didn't look at me. He just walked straight back. I thought at first that he was possibly the property manager or owner. I opened the back door to go and meet him, but he had disappeared. That was before the neighbor warned me. He told me that the malicious activity mostly takes place in the basement. Snarls, throwing rocks, scratches. I've only experienced knocking sounds and weird shadows. And his son's bedroom upstairs. He told me his son was dragged out of his bed by the ankles. Most of what I've experienced has been in the kitchen. I often hear people walking upstairs in areas that have since been boarded up. There's a staircase that the owners boarded up and turned into a pantry. Stuff is constantly getting knocked off countertops and thrown onto the floor. I was also grabbed once when sweeping the floor. I haven't really given it any attention or tried to contact or communicate because it hasn't really impacted me. A lot of it I just thought was weird and figured it's an old house. Old houses do weird things. Last night was completely different. It was around 2, 2.30 in the morning. I was in bed trying my best when I heard something in the living room or kitchen making the weirdest noise I've ever heard in my life. It sounded like a man yelling, trying to mimic a cat in heat. It was not my cat. He's neutered and was asleep on my feet. I mentioned mimicry in the title because sometimes my cat makes yowling noises when he's out in the kitchen. He really likes the way his meow is carried and echoes back to him. This was not that sound. It was not a cat outside. I have the windows closed and the air conditioning on. This sound was inside the house. I have no idea what could have made this noise other than something supernatural. It scared the hell out of me, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. I'm kind of concerned. I don't know if I should truly be concerned. Is this a sign that whatever entities are in the house are getting bolder? Are trying to target my cat? I love to hear if you have any ideas on what it could be, or if you experience similar things, especially what happened after.
One time, I went to the closet pretending I'm dead to see how long it would take my family to notice I'm missing. It's been 15 years now, and I'm starting to wonder if I'm really alive. Not Mom by Delavina00 This happened to me while I was growing up, between the ages of 6 to 17. First Appearance I was six and sleeping on the floor next to my parents' bed because they had a habit of giving my bedroom away to any guests that came to stay. So on this night, I woke up, as I have a habit of doing, in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. But when I opened my eyes, I saw my mother sitting on her wicker stool, facing her vanity mirror and putting on her makeup. The overhead lights were on dim, and her movements were slow and even paced. Now, something about the layout of my parents' bedroom you should know. From the main room, you have the bed that sits in the middle. Off to the left of that is a small open area with a half walls and an opening for a walkway with a door in the middle. There are two countertops, one for each side of the walkway, and in between the door and the door leads to the bathroom with a toilet and a shower. So, I see my mother putting on makeup, and it confuses me. So I sit up and call out to her in a loud whisper. (sighs) She ignores me. So I call a little louder. Mom! Still ignores me. So I turn around to look at the clock that sits on the nightstand on the other side of the bed and see that it's around 3 a.m. So I turn back around and this time much louder say, Mom, it's almost three. Go back to bed. What are you doing? She, even still ignoring me and just continues putting on blush. All the while, the wicker from the stool is creaking as she moves, and the light is still on dim. So I thought she must have been sleepwalking. So I stood up to go wake up my father, and that's when I noticed my real mom asleep in the bed. I slowly turn around to stare at the woman sitting in my mother's chair, that looks identical to my mom. And that's when the woman's head slowly turned around to look directly at me. I stood still as I stared back into her red eyes. By this point, my heart was pounding, but my need to use the bathroom was much greater. So I slowly kept whispering to myself, she's not real. She's not real. As I walked closer to her, her eyes followed my movement until I was about a foot away from her. And that's when she disappeared and the lights shut off. After finally using the restroom, I crawled back under the covers and stared at the seat for hours. 
I didn't realize this wasn't going to be the last time that I would see her. I have told these stories to my parents much, much later in my life, as at the time I thought they wouldn't believe me. So we have nicknamed her Not Mom. When I trolled on social media, I expected some backlash. I didn't expect the mob outside my home holding my mother hostage. I think I was visited by my deceased relative, whom I've never met in my life, by Anonymous. I know how absurd this may sound, but decided to share my story anyways, since it still creeps me out to this day. Flashback to 2016, and I was 17 at the time. My grandmother had a series of complications with her health, and was once admitted to the hospital for a mild case of... Mm, something that I can't quite recall at the moment. And in my culture, hospitals tend to be a bad-slash-negative place to be due to all the deaths and tragedies that take place within their bleak, white walls. Skip forward about a week, and my grandmother is released from the hospital, and we all go about living our normal lives again. However, this is where it gets weird. One night, I had an extremely vivid dream, probably the only dream that I can completely recall with such detail and memory retention to this day. In this dream, I was walking down an old, long, and dilapidated road in southern Vietnam, where my dad's side of the family grew up. Mind you, I've never actually seen photos of the old house in Vietnam, I've only been given brief descriptions of the place, but somehow in my dream, the place matched perfectly with how my father described it, with even more details that he never told me about. As I'm walking down the road, one house in particular stood out to me the most, and for some unknown reason, I knew I had to go there. As if someone was calling me. When I reached the house, I went straight into the bedroom where three people were. My grandmother, who was sitting in the chair propped against the wall to the left. A man who was sitting next to my grandmother. And an old, frail woman laying in the bed attached to an ivy pouch. She was definitely sickly, and from the looks of it, on the brink of death. So, this is where it gets interesting. My grandmother introduced me to the two strangers to which I gave my respects to. They showered me with compliments and say how familiar I look to my dad. Pretty much how all elder Asian people talk to the youth. Eventually, the man gets up and tells my grandmother to look after the woman in bed, and leaves. As this happens... I approach the woman in bed, and she grabs my hand, giving it an ever-so-gentle squeeze, smiles at me, and I wake up. 
When I wake up in the morning, I knew something about this dream felt different, so I explained it in detail to my dad. And when I tell you the look on his face was one I have never seen before, as if he just saw a ghost. He goes on to tell me that my grandmother has two siblings, an older brother and a younger sister. I learned that the brother, my great uncle, passed away many years ago and that my grandmother's sister was extremely ill and bedridden in Vietnam in the same exact house and room. This is all super weird to me because prior to this dream, I had no idea that my grandmother had siblings. It was as though I was visited in my dreams by my deceased great uncle and near death great aunt. I eventually found out that my grandmother's sister passed away shortly after I had that dream. This story still resonates with me to this day because I genuinely can't explain how or why exactly I had that dream, but it was surreal experience to say the least. I've never been one to completely believe in the paranormal, but after having this experience, my perspective definitely changed a bit. I have been labeled a freak and a weirdo by people, as I am constantly screaming at the top of my lungs. I don't know how to explain to them that the universe explodes every few seconds and then reforms itself instantly and I can feel my body being ripped apart every time. When it was clear that the zombie apocalypse was upon us, we knew our best option was to wait it out until they decomposed. What we didn't know was that all that flesh was just holding the skeletons back. The Spirit Tree by Nothing is Solid So, this is real, but it's not really scary, but it is strange. When I lived in Florida around Jupiter, we had Juno and Marshkini Beach. My whole life I grew up on this beach, and at night some strange things have happened. From UFOs to apparitions, I've always felt a strong natural spirit here. Later in my teenage years, I was often kicked out of my house, anywhere from weeks to months at a time. I lived on these beaches. Most specifically, I almost always stayed at Shower 39. Shower 39 was the heaviest I felt of this natural spirit. I even saw what I dubbed a beach demon there in the trees. Two of my other friends saw this and still talk about this. Still, for whatever reason, I felt safe here and comfortable, sleeping below the shifting canopies of the sea grape forest. The way the beaches are laid out, there is a sidewalk, then a long stretch of sea grape forest 
that stretches the entire beach. Then the beach. I spent many isolated nights on my own on these beaches from 16 till 23. There was this tree that me and my friends dubbed the spirit tree. It was an uprooted tree that appeared on the beach in certain months. It was up on the beach mostly in the winter months. It'd wash up when the storms came, and it'd be on the beach for a couple weeks or a few days. It'd be right where the surf met the beach, as most trees that wash up would be in the surf. Now, what made this tree unique is that it was the same tree. Every time, as long as I can remember. It would also wash up in the same general area, from shower 32 to shower 44, most promptly around shower 39. My personal favorite shower were, I've experienced the strangest things in my life. I'd seen it a lot while I was on some serious psychedelic journeys, but other people who were sober and with me would see the tree, and they always freaked out. Because on the rational side, this should not be possible. But here it was, with the most deepest carving remaining on it. The same exact tree, months later. You would drive yourself insane trying to figure it out. And around this tree, everyone feel this vibe of deep respect, mystery, peace, love, and wonder. For some, it would elicit an overwhelming feeling of anxiety. I remember I was with this one girl when I found it one day. She didn't fully believe me, but insisted that we leave. I was climbing all over it, hugging it, looking at all of our old carvings. I was tripping. Eventually, Reluctantly, I agreed to keep walking the beach. She later told me she was at one point felt so nervous around it, and she needed to catch her breath. I love the spirit tree, and most of us hippies did as well. It was something that made no sense. The spirit tree showed itself to me a lot when I was in troubling times, and it always made me feel comfortable. However, every strange or paranormal experience I had on that beach from UFO, ghost, strange alternate states that made no sense, and even one beach demon-like creature happened after I saw the spirit tree. Still, it never scared me, the spirit tree anyways. Anyways, this is one of many of my strange paranormal experiences. This, however, is the most nostalgic, and the thoughts of the spirit tree make me happy as I remember this almost bond I had with it. Many nights alone, after getting kicked out of my house, I go to the beach feeling a deep, lonely depression just to find the spirit tree, and it would always lift my spirits. Believe this or not, I promise you, 
that this happens on the beaches of Morshetki and Juno. And if you find a tree washed up on the beach one late night around shower 39 with carvings all over it looking older than time itself, show your respect to this wonderful, amazing spirit tree if it strikes your fancy. Don't if you don't want to. To many, it's just a washed up tree. But to those of us who know the beach like the back of our hands, this tree is so much more. P.S. I know I sound nuts and like a total hippie, but I have loads of friends who have never touched a drug in their lives who still are in awe and can't explain this. I promise you, it's the same tree. And I like to personify it. I like to think that this tree is some kind of nature spirit, and she knows me, knows my heart, and is happy that I'm keeping her legend alive. And on screen right now, that tree in the water, that is the spirit tree. OP sent me the photo, so I hope you like it. I have a duty to throw a dead body from the top of a tower. To maintain my little sanity, I ignore the shuffling in the plastic bags, the chill of the air from being so high, and the hungry, vicious growls that sound louder with every drop-off. The Curse of the Psycho River by Cryptic Wanderer A note from the author This story is one that I've wanted to write for a while now, but the words have always escaped me. For one, it's true. I know, every story is true, ha ha ha, very scary. This one, however, is as true as it gets. And as everyone knows, writing a series of incredible events while maintaining credibility is damn near impossible. I do invite and even encourage you to look it up on Google after it's finished. The second reason I found that it's difficult is that it's two stories in one. There's a lot of history involved, and though the details differ depending on who tells it to you, my hometown of Biddeford was the first inhabited by Europeans in 1616, making it one of the first places to be visited in America. But the general consensus is the load-bearing beam I will include. Thank you for letting me ramble. Now, for your story. I was born and raised in the city of Biddeford, Maine. The city itself is full of somewhat garbage people, but I wouldn't have wanted to grow up anywhere else. I had many wonderful memories, as the beach was an hour walk away, the backyard was sprawling, and the woods that led down to the river was right next to my house. 
It runs about 130 miles from New Hampshire and splits the town of Biddeford and Sacco, emptying out into the ocean beyond. Most mothers, my own included, did everything in their power to make sure their children didn't go into the water until three people died at the beginning of the year. This may sound morbid, and indeed it is, but for good reason. All the children in the cul-de-sac knew bits of information, usually clashing, but I first heard the full story told to me by an old man named Rodney. Rodney was an old Native American man who lived down the other side of my backyard. His grandson Josh and I often played games with each other and became pretty good friends. Rodney was a good-spirited man, always telling us fun stories about people from his lineage, and usually scary ones when we were putting the tents up out back and camp out for the night. It was one such night I heard the curse of the Sacco River. Back in the year 1675, Winter Haver, now known as Biddeford, was established by the Europeans. The local Sokokus natives generally welcomed them, and boats would come and go along the Sacco River. One such boat carried three white men, who were said to be drunk as a skunk and meaner than one too. A woman who had given birth to the chief's sons was upon one of the islands, carrying the child in tow. They decided to have a little fun and tested a story they had once heard. It was said that Native Americans could doggy paddle from birth, and they wanted to find out, most likely making a few bets on it. Despite the woman's screams, they ripped the baby from her arms and threw him into the water. Unsurprisingly, the child had drowned. Some say she went in after him, only to drown herself, others not. What eventually did happen is Chief Sacador, not to be confused with Sacato, found out and placed a curse on the river. Until the day white men cleared the banks, the spirits of the river would take three lives a year. Some say the three were killed right there, but regardless, there was no delegations made. In fact, it was said to ignite violence between the tribe and the Europeans, kicking off the War of King Philip. There was a little bit more to it than that, I'm sure, but it has been about 26 years now, so my memory is a tad bit fuzzy. The only thing I can never forget, in fact, it's probably what caused my terrible lifelong nightmares, is the night he took us out fishing. Conveniently enough, Ronnie took us by canoe out to Skelton Dam. It's a popular place for fishing and swimming. In late summer, the sun is warm while being shaded by a large forest around it. And as the sun goes down, the sounds of wildlife makes it an unparalleled place to relax. He had paddled us down the stream for about an hour when finally the night came on. We didn't catch a whole lot, and honestly at seven years old, I hardly knew what I was doing. But I had fun with Josh, and Rodney was telling us more of his stories of the past. I don't know what time it was, 
probably 10 or 11, but the fog began to roll across the water. Rodney had made a crack about the spirits making their way from the deep, when all the noise from the bank stopped. There were no insects, birds, or frogs to be heard, just the quiet sloshing of water on wood. I don't think we even noticed at first, not until we could see the dead serious look on old Rodney's face. He didn't say it, but he was scared. He said something to the effect of, we better pack it in. So we reeled in our fishing poles and he started the long way back up the river. Being children, Josh and I didn't really panic. Rodney was experienced in the woods, and though he stayed silent, he didn't much let on that something was wrong. He just kept his eyes forward and worked the oars. This went on for a while. The sounds of nature were still silent, and it seemed as though every small sound from one side of the river to the other. The fog was still present, and was growing thicker by the minute. I don't know how Rodney didn't get lost, but I assume it wasn't his first time in conditions such as this. The closer we got, the more we let go of our fear. That is, until the crying began. I couldn't tell from where, but like a gunshot out of the silence, this shrill, high-pitched sobbing rang out from the land. It would be so loud, like it was right next to you, then seemed to move away, only to return just as quickly. To make it worse, the sobbing would erupt into insane bursts of laughter. Even thinking about it now makes me shiver. Not a male or a female. It was something I can't possibly find words to match with. As it continued, we started to hear the sounds of something jumping through the forest, easily keeping pace with the boat. I tried to block most of it out, but that's not something that ever goes away. I believe that was about the time Josh and I began to cry ourselves. Ronnie tried to comfort us, telling us to keep our heads down and to cover our ears. But most of his efforts were spent rowing in a panic-driven manner. The tone of his voice was quick and stern. Nothing like the tight look on his face, and I believe he was praying. The sob crying stopped after a bit to our relief. However, it was short-lived. A woman's voice shouted out from somewhere, distant, but also close. In a blood-freezing tone, it screamed, Help me! I looked out through the fog. It wasn't a woman I saw, however. On the bank to the right, I could make out a thin figure. Not too many details were visible. Aside from the long horns that sprouted out from its head, like that of a deer. The image quickly melted back into the fog and disappeared. Once again, help me, please, came from the bank. The opposite one, however, the one closest to us. 
As this happened, the sound of drums came and quickly crescendoed their way all around us, like that of a dozen or more people playing drums. Rodney told us once again not to look and steer the canoe away towards the center of the river. Like the idiot kid I was, I looked as large green orbs of light began to appear, along with multiple little men. I say men, but they were all much too short, and their shape wasn't quite right. It was almost like a group of monkeys were all lined up along the shore, just staring at us. As the ghastly cry for help continued to follow, switching sides from time to time. I'm fairly certain I had wet my pants by then. I don't think I've ever been so scared in my life, including my current age. Unfortunately, our boat trip through hell wasn't quite over yet. The fog was a constant and would swallow anything almost as quickly as it appeared. As terrifying as the things on the bank were, at least they couldn't get to us, or so I thought. We must have been pretty close to the boat launch by that point, but before we could get there, the sounds of splashing erupted on all sides of us. The occasional slosh of water told us there was something around our boat, and it wasn't long till the knocking began. It was soft at first, more like something rubbing the side of the canoe than it turned into scratching, but they quickly got louder as if people were pounding their fists against the side. It was getting so bad I thought we were going to tip, and poor old Rodney was rowing like a madman. The panic on his face was clear as day. He was no longer trying to be silent and I could even see something trying to grab and pull at the oars. These sort of short, black arms that grabbed at whatever they could. Well, we finally made it to the boat launch. Rodney practically threw us on land. He didn't bother with our bags or fishing stuff either. I was somewhat upset the next day, but I can't blame him one bit. We ran to his truck, still hearing drum beats all around us, now coupled with the sound of loud growls. I can't tell you what for sure, but some sort of animals were pacing around the fog on all fours. They kept their distance, thank God, but before we were finally on the road, we were in for one more surprise. The branches and leaves of the trees off to the left of the truck began shuffling. The forest here is thick, so it's hard to see what it was, but some sort of large bird burst through the canopy and shot across the lake. I'd never seen anything so monstrously huge in my life. Rodney later told me he believed it was a thunderbird. I'm not sure, but the wingspan was anywhere from 20 to 30 feet long. Since that night, I stayed away from that river. In fact, I moved halfway across the country. I can't really tell you a whole lot else from that night. I never got many answers myself. I can tell you, however, 
that I believe in the curse of the Saco River wholeheartedly, as well as its spirits. Do not go into that river, unless, of course, three people have already been found dead. I spent hours replaying and reviewing the footage we shot inside the abandoned hospital, trying to pinpoint what was bothering me about it. Finally, I saw the eyes on the poster at the edge of the screen had moved, for a single frame to stare directly at the camera, at me. I'm a plastic surgeon, and I consider my work a form of art. This is the reason why I want my patients to feel every cut as I give them their new faces. Knock Knock, Don't Answer by Kimbreezy72 a friend of mine's brother was possessed by a spirit. His mother had answered three knocks at the door in the middle of the night to find no one there. After this incident, my friend's brother, we'll call him H, started behaving very strange. H was a very energetic, bright and active part of his family. Until one day, he became very distant, catatomic, and erratic towards his family. His brother would say that he had a dark and emotionless look to him, which he had never seen in age before. Things kept getting worse, and the family were running out of options. So, they went to the temple, as they were a family of Buddhists, and begged the monks to help. They agreed and set up a cleansing of the house to figure out what was going on. So one day the monks had come to the house to essentially do what's normally known as an exorcism, but through the Buddhist temple. The mother explained to the monks that she had answered some knocks on the door in the middle of the night. They asked the family if someone had recently died that they knew and the brother told them that H's friend had committed suicide a few weeks earlier. The monks performed their ceremony and had determined that the friend who had committed suicide recently had come in spirit form and knocked on the family's door. When the mother had answered and opened the door, H's friend's spirit had latched onto him as he is someone he recognized and is familiar. When the ceremony had finished, the monks had coaxed H's friend's spirit from him into a bottle the monks had used as a vessel to capture spirits. They told the family the only way to fully get rid of the spirit is to release him somewhere on the street. So the mother took the spirit in the bottle and freed him in front of where the spirit's family lived. After the exorcism, H went back to normal and didn't have any memories of the past few weeks. 
He didn't recall any of the exorcism or any of his behavior. Moral of the story is, don't answer the door at night. Don't even respond to any knocks at all. If it's someone or something important, they would have called. Plus, there's nothing good on the other side of the door in the middle of the night. Stay safe, everyone. I reached for my credit card and placed a bid for 2000 and was delighted when I won and got to choose my prize. I watched in excitement while listening to her screams as they followed my instructions and began to cut thin strips off her eyeballs. My Boss and the Cloaked Figure by Automatopoeia Utopia I had a boss years ago with whom I was very close. We were of the same faith. He was even a minister in it. Furthermore, he had officiated at my wedding, and my RN wife had basically delivered his child when his wife's midwife was late to their home birth. We were thus quite close. A few years after a wedding, he suddenly had an epiphany as he viewed it, and his religious perspective and practices changed dramatically almost overnight to a very different position that he believed I too should adopt. It caused a strange on our entire relationship as he began to insult and mock my faith even while I worked for him. It developed into a very negative daily environment for both of us. One day, not long afterwards, while at work, I watched a figure appear suddenly in the room we were in and ran towards him. It looked like a person in a hooded cloak, completely brown, like a stylized monk or a druid are often popularly portrayed, while its face obscured by the cloth. The figure rushed up from behind him and disappeared right as it reached him as if vanishing into his body. I'm not one who typically sees spirits, thankfully, but this was right in front of my eyes in the daylight, although the figure was slightly translucent. I kind of freaked out and told him immediately what just happened. He became understandably aggravated and wanted to know what that was supposed to mean. But... I was just as mystified as he was. His behavior towards our faith grew increasingly antagonistic in the upcoming months, which was so different than his usual amicable and loving disposition. He believed I was somehow a heretic for not accepting the validity of his religious epiphany, and claimed that in a decade I would no longer even have any faith as he zealously proclaim the superiority of his own new religious views. The strangeness culminated when I called in one morning to let him know my grandfather was dying, and I was going to be with him that day as he passed, and he gave me the choice, 
go say my goodbye to my grandpa and come on into work or just quit right there. I could not believe he was forcing me to choose, but I made the right choice and thanked him over the phone for the opportunity to work for him, said goodbye, and went to be with my grandpa for his last moments. It's been over 10 years now, and I have seen him only one time since. Ironically, while I've increased my religious practice over the years, I found out that he left the faith altogether and is no longer religious in any capacity. Many times I have wondered if the rogue figure I saw that day at work running into him was some kind of spirit of confusion or deception that took him further away from his established faith. I still mourn the loss of that beloved friendship. Seeing a new cringe compilation show up on my subscription page always filled me with excitement. But that excitement quickly disappeared after a hidden camera footage from inside my house started appearing in them. He told me to call him Joseph by the trash heap. This happened a few years ago, but it lasted so long and it was so scary that I can never forget it. Mom says that her and my sister Jay are sensitive too and able to communicate with spirits. I was never sure if I could. I was always told I couldn't, but now... I'm not so sure. My sister Jay bought a glow-in-the-dark Ouija board from Toys R Us, of all places, and put it in her and my sister A's room, which they shared while I shared my room with the other sister C. My mother's mother died about two months beforehand, and it really messed us up. Everything was fine for about three weeks until I had a nightmare. In the nightmare, I was sitting on my bed with my legs hanging down, and I was facing my sister's room. It didn't seem weird to me that I was going through the walls, and I sat and I watched as a man adjusted his suit tie from where my sister's closet was. He had slick back hair and stubble all over his chin. He looked like a very classy man. Except for how bad you felt by looking at him. He told me, Once I'm free, I'm going to kill your mother. I can't recall if I said anything to him, but when I woke up, I felt like I was still there, sitting on the edge of my bed and staring at him. I could feel him staring at me. I told my mother that Joseph wants to get out of the board, and he was planning on hurting her. She didn't believe me, and said that me naming what I saw made them stronger. A week later, my mother approached me and asked me how I knew what was going to happen, and I told her. It was horrible being in that house. That house was my home, and whatever he was ruined it for me. I couldn't even sit in the living room one day 
because I could keep feeling electricity and kept getting electrocuted because of him. And I told mom that I think Joseph had a cause as to why I kept feeling it so badly while just sitting on the couch. A week later, she tells me that the homeowner just told them that a guy burned to death in 75. Since then, I could always feel him staring at me. He was always in the closet of my sister's room, like he was stuck there. And there was this strange, dark feeling around him that lashed out like tentacles in every direction. I could always see him in my mind. I was looking into the house from an aerial view somehow, and I would hear him with ears that weren't my own. I could hear him mocking me, telling me that once he was free, he would eviscerate my mother and the sisters who helped her. He would always yell about wanting to kill my mother. Sometimes I would wake up from a nightmare because his torment and teasing woke me up. Doors would slam. We would hear steps down the hall when everyone is in bed, and we would see people walking through the house and we would walk to where they went and see no one there. Once, I was putting a giant container of my mom's stuffed peppers into our cramped backup fridge in the garage because the fridge in the kitchen had no room, and as I got to the bottom of the steps, I turned back because I forgot to grab the mashed potatoes too, and I see the door slam shut by itself so hard that the door of the fridge behind me opens. One of the reasons it was down here because we usually slam the front door shut. Even when we moved, I was still connected to him by some weird aerial view. We moved a good three miles away, not that far in the long run, but I hoped it was far enough away from him. I was so wrong. He was so pissed off that we left, that I left, that his weird black energy I mentioned before had engulfed the whole house, and he was screaming at me to come back, that I had to come back, and that I belonged to him. I would constantly wake up with bruises on me from where he would grab me in my dreams. I was trying to ignore his existence, trying to force myself to believe that it was all imaginary. But the bruises kept coming and coinciding with where he would hit me in my dreams. And when I look back to the house in my mind with that aerial view vision of me, he would somehow grab that too. While I was awake, he once grabbed the arm of me when I was looking at him with that aerial view and dragged me down to look at him and demanded I return. I quickly left whatever version of me that even is and went to school. My friends in my second period English class all asked me what happened and when I was confused, they showed me the large and dark hand-shaped bruise on my left arm. I made up a story about me starting to sleepwalk and how I must have grabbed my own arm really hard. Somehow they bought it and it went away in two weeks. About two weeks after that, I was sitting on our couch in the living room of our new house, 
and was watching TV with Dad, who refuses to believe in ghosts, and I don't blame him. And I could feel Joseph suddenly lash out again, and suddenly the left side of my lower back is burning in strips. I cry as a throb of pain suddenly hits from the burning, and my dad looks at my side where I told him the pain was. Dad gets pissed off and yells at me for messing with the cats, and I say I didn't and ask what it looks like. He takes me to the bathroom and takes me to the mirror and shows me the four bloody strips on my hip and says, Not messing with the cats? Bullshit. Mammy, next time you'll leave the animals alone. I told Mom, and she brought over a friend who said that they had some ability to stop it. Now at this point, I'm half believing them. I convinced myself pretty well that what happened in the last house was all made up by me. I can't remember when I stopped seeing him after that, but when I look back nowadays, I don't see him in that house. All I feel is a faint shadow of what used to be Joseph. It isn't even him anymore. Just what is left, an imprint. This is the only thing that's ever hurt me. I'm relieved he's gone, but it was horrible. He tormented me over a span of four years. The police officer arrived at the house of a terrible accident to find an 11-year-old boy, dressed in green, on the ground dead. The officer then spoke to the boy's parents, who explained that their son Peter had jumped out of his bedroom window, convinced he could fly. Home reno caused backlash, nervous, by the trash heap. So to preference, the reno was just a bathroom repair. We had to reline the drywall of the shower because of water damage. So nothing substantial to the point of the whole scene from the movie Poltergeist and finding bones in the yard. But still, stuff picked up since then. I had experienced a few things since we first moved here about three to four years ago, including hearing myself and my family members, seeing people who aren't there, watching stuff move or break on their own, and, although not the worst, but the creepiest, I saw myself walk from my room to the back door. The me I saw had much shorter hair than I have at the time, and didn't notice me. We've gotten a couple regular special guests. One thing is in my parents' closet, and it has gotten much meaner since the reno. Another is a tall, blonde man that my sister and I have coined the name The Sood. He's more of a protective thing than others and usually comforts us when something lashes out. And the last one was a more tricky thing. Stomping up and down the hallway and running into my face. Knocking on my door and waking me up mid-sleep. And this was all before we had the bathroom repaired. As the repairs were going on, 
I heard two of my sisters calling me from different sides of the house when I was home alone. And one of them has even moved out. And I've recently had nightmares about Joseph, an entity that harassed me in a past house. This entity is his whole own thing, and he had left a physical handprint on my body. And he was standing over my bed and telling me that he was back. I said that I won't let him hurt me or others, and he laughed as he told me that he wasn't after me this time. I was having an argument with my father yesterday, and I turned because I heard my mother in the kitchen, and both my father and I watched some items that were on top of the microwave suddenly shot into her face as she walked past. Some paper and plastic containers. It also broke some glass bowls that my grandmother had gifted us. This morning I woke up and had to go, as you do, but I noticed my father was in the bathroom, so I decided to wait in the bedroom to avoid another possible argument. Some minutes later, I heard the door open and him start petting one of our cats, ringing her collar's bell, before walking into and shutting his room's door. He drags his feet, so I know it was him I heard, but... I opened the door and nope, he was still in there. He had actually started a shower as I watched the space trying to figure out what was happening. So it's no way it could have been him. My sisters and I are a little more than nervous because activity has definitely picked up with my dad yelling at us a lot more than usual lately. My mom is trying to ignore that anything is going on because if they were bad, they would have shown me. And my dad is so against the idea of ghosts that he goes on full tangents about how stupid an idea it is for them to exist, despite watching lines of marks, like scratches from an animal, appear on my side once while watching TV with him. I had screamed out from the pain and he asked me what made me yell. I lifted my shirt side a little, and I could see I was already bleeding from the gashes. The person responsible for the Midtown Mall Massacre had a look I was far too familiar with. It was not the visage of a cold-blooded killer, but the baffled face of someone formerly possessed. Scientists were ecstatic when they discovered a message left behind for humanity by ancient aliens. After years of translating, they were less thrilled to discover that it simply read, We are sorry. Night Security Guard Paranormal Experience my second paranormal post by you slash major tom 13 narrated by september dragon audio continuing on from my last post here about when i was around four five years old i am now 29 and work as a security guard during the night in the UK. The site I usually do my duty at is in the northwest of England. 
but I will not give you the name of the site or specific area to keep my job secure. This is going to be a long-winded post, but I am confident that anybody interested in the paranormal will be satisfied, so here goes. So I was in the army at the time when one of my closest friends landed this job first. He was always a very hardcore skeptic, but started to tell me that he was experiencing things that were weird and freaking him out sometimes. After the army, I went into a couple of random jobs whilst I got my momentum back in regular life and also got myself SIA license. Eventually, my pal got shipped off to another site for the same customer and I jumped at the opportunity to work in his place. My pal, let's call him Jackson, kindly drove me to the site for my induction to meet the guard on duty that night. The guard on duty was a very down-to-earth man in his 50s. After showing me the ropes, the whole five minutes, <laughs> he asked me what I thought about poltergeists. I told him briefly about some of the experiences I have had throughout my life and his eyes lit up which sparked a casual friendship ever since. Basically he told me about two guards leaving in the past due to strange things happening at this site and that every guard has experienced at least one thing there. He is a lot deeper into this stuff than I am but it adds to his harmless charm and we have shared many deep conversations about the subject. Saturday night during the Christmas holiday in 2018, I locked myself in for the first time and ready to spend the next 12 hours alone enjoying my own company and getting paid for it. Gaming laptop straight out of Albet on whisper volume of course and frequently heads up in case intruders or a van driver comes to collect their personal vehicles. This place is quite creepy looking as it is out in the sticks somewhat and surrounded by farmland. But I am very used to cutting about in the dark in places similar from my time in the army so it was just whatever to me. For the first few shifts I just heard the odd strange noise which quite frankly could have been anything from temperature expansion contraction to wildlife on the night prior to the shift returning to work for 2019 I had one of those most profound paranormal experiences of my life which generally scare me it was the 3 a.m. 4 a.m. hourly patrol I stepped off at about 3.30, and as I put one foot out of the guard's room door, a tiny stone whizzed around the guard's room, bouncing off the metal lockers, desk, etc. at head to torso height. I'm six foot tall. This didn't make any sense, but I shrugged it off and continued on my way. The first part of my patrol in involved walking around the back of a two-story medium-sized office building 
where they are lots of stone pebbles to walk on before coming out from the back of the offices and onto a relatively large car park, about two-thirds the size of a football pitch. As soon as I stepped foot on the tarmac, a pebble landed next to me, and I thought nothing of it. I could have easily kicked one up a bit with my steel toe boots and not felt it, whatever. I got halfway across the car park and another landed just in front of me, as if it came from behind me. This is where I started to feel things weren't quite right as the pebbles were way back by this point and I would have felt it this time due to the additional force of it. I continued and at the end of the car park were a row of shipping containers on the left and a huge biffa skip on the right. The patrol route takes me walking in between these for about 30 meters and this is by far the creepiest part of this site as it's so dark and dingy. This is where things begin to get intense. I was still walking towards this area and roughly 20 meters away when another pebble hit the biffa skip loudly at about five or six feet high. In other words, I would have had to get a bit of a run up and put effort into booting a pebble hard enough to get it high enough and to match the force it hit with. This really startled me and I stood still and confused for about 30 seconds looking all around me but there was nobody and I was equipped with a 400 lumen heavy duty torch so I could see for quite a distance. Nobody. Whatsoever. I reluctantly carried on out of duty down the alley past the skip that had just been hit and the shipping containers to my left. I had gotten about 10 meters past the first shipping container when it sounded as if somebody ran up to it with a sledgehammer and gave it a massive whack. My backside almost swallowed my pants whole and it took me every ounce of my courage to immediately run back onto the car park and shine my torch in all directions. If this was a human, due to the layout of the site, they could not have gotten away in time unless they could contest using bolt, and even that would be a stretch considering it probably took me two seconds to sprint there, if that. The guard who gave me the introduction is that interested in this stuff that he told me to call him if anything like this happens, no matter the hour. So I continued. To the center of the car park to get a full view of the site but of course nobody suddenly i just heard bang 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 coming from all directions but confined to within the site shortly followed by tiny stones continuously whizzing past my shins with a low trajectory similar to how one would throw skimming stones across a body of water. The thing is about the stones whizzing past me is that the direction they were coming from was a huge three-story high warehouse with no windows 
four doors from my point of view. So, these tiny stones were being thrown at me from an unseen force for 100% certainty as all that was there was three stories of brick wall. Never once did any of them hit me, just whiz by my legs left and right. Behind this warehouse is a river that gets quite choppy in the winter, but even so, the trajectory indicated that the stones were definitely being thrown from in front of me and not over the warehouse, which would be the next to impossible feat anyway. I rang the other guard and he could immediately hear the racket going on. He told me to go by the river and call out to it. Now, despite having a few experiences sparsely throughout my life, I have never been interested in engaging with whatever the paranormal is, but I decided to humor him anyway, all the while crapping my pants. I called out to it, can't remember what I said, and everything immediately stopped and went silent. Nothing further happened that night, and the other guard said he's never known anybody get terrorized quite that badly by it. Once the staff arrived, I spoke to one of the blokes managing the site, and he said he and he said he would check the CCTV footage for any messers. Interestingly, the next shift, a couple of days later, the cleaner who used to be around for a couple of hours after the staff left called me into the office block to see a document printed out of an email. This was to my security firm about the events, but stated that they could not see anybody or any stones on the camera, but could see me doing an intense investigation and being violently startled a few times. Since then, I have had very sparse experiences such as door slamming, a filled mop bucket moving three feet from the wall in front of my eyes, plants smashing in the canteen. Very annoying as security officers get the blame for this, understandably. Cutlery having a quick jingle in the canteen drawers. A loud sound of what can only be described as heavy cardboard boxes being dragged along the dusty warehouse floor and footsteps coming from the room above. A few months into the job, I also got another very close friend a job there who was also in the army prior and also a massive skeptic until now. He literally laughed at myself and Jackson whilst we gave him his introduction when we mentioned the strange stuff. Jackson to this day references his cocky laugh as his attitude soon got set straight. <laughs> so, a few nights into my other friend, let's call him Scott, working there, I got woke up to a phone call at about 1.30 a.m. And it is Scott with a trembly voice saying that somebody was just sprinting up the stairs, ran through the short corridor, and is currently stood outside the guardroom door. I said, well, you're a security guard. Do your job and see who it is. Of course, nobody was there and nobody could be there due to coded doors. 
I haven't experienced anything paranormal there for a long time now. It seems to have weeks, months of calm followed by short bursts of activity. I have also since branched out and done all of the sites my company contracts with and never had an experience elsewhere besides one place to which I have video evidence of. I am reluctant to share and even then I need permission from the guard who works that particular site. I have even worked at a number of derelict creepy old mills with nothing strange going on. I have one more story about an experience in my teens for another time. And then that's all folks. I hope you enjoyed. The stranger who threw me into a dark cell laughed when I demanded if he knew who my father was and how much he'd be sorry when I was found. Chuckling, he leaned in and whispered in my ear, Who do you think paid me to take you? I think someone or something was in my house. By Pink Pastel. I've rented my current house for around three years. It's located in a heavy wooded area on a couple acres of land, but with neighbors not too far off. I've always heard noises in the house. For example, a loose floorboard creaking under someone's weight when there's no one around but myself and things move slightly, such as a water glass being shifted on the counter. It didn't bother me too much as those occurrences I could shrug off as overthinking or ordinary house noises. However, when my boyfriend moved in, he too would hear these things. It was more so scratching and tapping noises outside though, sometimes so loud they would wake us up. Him being freaked out about it assured me it wasn't just in my head. We lightheartedly joked about it being a ghost, but I think we both didn't want to admittedly play into it that much as the occurrence were usually few and far between. He ended up moving out eventually due to need to be closer to his work and things became scarier after. A specific incident happened around 11pm while him and I were on a phone call. Someone knocked on my door lightly three times. My parents reside pretty close, so I automatically thought something was wrong and they had come by. My dog was barking like mad, which is not usual, so, naively, I went and answered the door not even 30 seconds after the knocks. No one was there when I opened it. I was completely shocked and scared after I realized it could be someone trying to rob me. I closed the door quickly and locked up absolutely everything. My dog continued to bark for a good 10 minutes after the whole encounter, all while staring at the door. The reason I'm writing now, though, is my most recent experience in which I heard a loud commotion during the night that woke me up. It sounded like someone had taken a trash bag full of cans and thrown it across my kitchen at 2 a.m. 
The dog and cat also shot up, both staring at my slightly open door. The dog growling. I could see the crack into my living room and thought I saw a black figure going back and forth, almost pacing. I was completely petrified. I couldn't move and lay awake for two hours afterwards, just staring and trying to make anything out in the dark. Finally, I told myself it was just my eyes playing tricks on me. Eventually, I fell asleep, and the next morning I checked around the house, but nothing was out of place. I'm just not sure what to make out of it all, or what to do. The ticking clock echoes through the hallway as a police squad nervously awaits the arrival of the kidnappers at the exchange site. All of them started to look around when the ticking became faster and one of them noticed the hands on the clock never moved before a wave of intense heat washed over them. Before this story starts, I would like to warn you that there is talk of sexual assault specifically in this story. If this is not something you want to listen to or can handle at this moment, please use the timestamps that I have made for you to just skip to the next story. I do hope you enjoy the rest of this video. Something Happened Last Night by Pink Bitch Narrated by September Dragon Audio Sorry for the bad grammar. I'm still learning English. I'm in Mexico right now for spring break. The problem is that every time we stay in this house, I have trouble sleeping. I've already experienced sleep paralysis many times while staying here, and it's creeping me out. Tonight was different though. I woke up at 4 a.m. I was thirsty, so I drank a bottle of water beside me. Soon after, I needed to go to the restroom, but was too scared to go out of my room. Eventually, at 6 a.m., I decided to get up. I did my business and returned to bed. Soon after, my eyes felt heavy, and I decided to sleep again. Not even an hour later, I woke up again, but did not open my eyes fully. I felt heavy. I could see my barely lidded room and closed my eyes again fast. I thought it was sleep paralysis again, until I heard a feminine voice I didn't recognize. I knew the owner of the voice was in bed next to me. My sister was sleeping next to me, but she slept at my left side. I did not think of opening my eyes. I did not want to see what was in my room. I felt a hand wrap around my neck, and I started to freak out. I couldn't scream, so I only breathed heavily. I felt another hand, but this time it stopped in my chest and started to touch my breasts. At this point, I didn't know what to do. 
I tried calling my sister, but I couldn't reach her. I could only move three fingers. I was beyond scared. I wanted whatever was touching me to stop. I called for God. I started praying, but nothing seemed to work. The hand that was in my chest moved to grab my right hand and felt my hand going up. The thing put two of my fingers in its mouth. It was horrifying. I felt tongue and teeth. It did not bite me, but it it was licking them. I was shocked and scared, but I still had my eyes tightly shut. I wanted to cry when I heard the feminine voice again on above me. It chuckled. The voice wasn't that scary, but it still creeped me the fuck out. It took my fingers out of its mouth and guided them between its genitals. I tried to scream and resist, but I couldn't. I felt weak. It inserted my fingers in them. I tried moving my arm, but was impossible. They were just stronger and kept my hand still. I didn't know what to do. Nobody could listen to me. When I tried praying again, the thing started talking to me. I couldn't understand anything it said. Whatever had my hand still between its legs took my fingers out and I felt a hand run down my body till it stopped in my private area. I wanted to get up and run to my mom's room. I wanted to cry. I was begging God to stop this, but it felt like everything I tried was useless. Its hand never went all the way. It was like there was something preventing it from continuing. Out of nowhere, it felt like I was knocked down unconscious. I stopped hearing it, and my mind went blank out of nowhere. I woke up about two or three hours later. I was shaking. I could still remember everything vividly. How it talked, how it touched me, everything. My sister woke up and noticed how scared I was and noticed my trembling with a trembling voice. I broke down and told her everything. I was sobbing and she was clearly worried. Comforting me and listening to everything I said, I felt violated. Every part of my body was shaking and I just wanted to get out of my room as soon as possible. I still don't know what it was. If someone has had the same experience, please tell me what it was. I'll appreciate it very much. I can't keep thinking of it since this morning. I'm scared to even walk in my own house. The nauseating hum from the old broadcast tower carried unpleasant dreams to the villagers below. No one was surprised when the reports of sporadic violence started. 
there's something in my woods written by warrior poet 1978 my first post on reddit so bear with me but this topic is so out there and i thought this might be a good place to discuss the strange going on in my woods with a larger audience i like to preference this post by saying that i'm a highly educated and scientific person and have never been a believer in the supernatural, Bigfoot, or things of that nature. That being said, I'm at a loss for the things my family has encountered on my property over the last seven years, and would love to hear your suggestions. Here's my story. Seven years ago, my wife and I purchased a property and 11 acres of woods in a rural part of northern eastern Minnesota. The woods were connected to a large acreage of field and woods of about 160 acres, and although sparsely populated, the land is near a fairly busy state highway. There are some housing developments in the area, but they are 3 to 4 miles away, and the majority of the land all around our property is farm fields, woods, and rivers. It's remote, but with the town so close, I wouldn't call it wild by any means. I mention this because I've heard many Native American legends of things in the deep northern woods of Minnesota and Canada, but the area in which we live is not that. Royal, yes, but not the endless north woods. As I said earlier, I'm not a believer in the supernatural and have never been afraid of the woods, or the outdoors, even though I have a healthy sense of caution and respect for large bears, moose, wolves, or any other potentially dangerous wildlife. I am also an avid hunter and mountaineer, and I have experienced many nights in the wilderness. I've had numerous encounters with dangerous animals, or situations so I'm not spooked easily. Knowing my state of mind is important to my story because many so-called supernatural encounters can be explained by people with an already high level of belief, anxiety, or fear. That's not me. Well, that all changed after the first few weeks of moving in. The house and land had been abandoned for a couple of years due to foreclosures, so a lot of work needed to be done to get it back into shape. Wildlife had grown accustomed to no human presence, and black bears frequently roamed the yard at night, along with many other woodland creatures. We also found a lot of animal bones scattered throughout the woods, and coyotes were abundant. One night during those first few weeks, we had a rainstorm, and I was worried about a broken downspout potentially causing a basement leak. It was about 10 p.m., so I grabbed my headlamp and headed outside to deal with the situation. Behind our house is a fairly large, swampy area that divides the woods. I had my back facing the area while fiddling with the downspout when I suddenly had this intense feeling of dread. It's really hard to explain the feeling, but it was like my body knew something was back there. 
It was very unusual based on the circumstance. Never having felt this type of fear before, I tried to stay calm and slowly turn around to point my headlamp back towards the swamp. What I saw was something I still can't explain. Eyes. Numerous glowing, reflecting eyes staring back at me. These were not eyes reflective that you typically see with a deer or other animals since they were all at different heights and when I pointed my headlamp spot beam directly at where you would expect a head to be, there was nothing there but weeds and trees. When I turned the headlamp off, they were still there, glowing as if a light was being shined. They did not move, they just stared through me. Needless to say, I bolted and ran as fast as I could back into the house and explained it away as deer or raccoons. Later that summer, I was sitting out on our screen-in porch that partially faced the swamp and connected woods to the west. It was approximately 11 p.m. when I began to hear what sounded like a bear fighting with or attacking a cow. Since there was a small farm to the northwest of my property, I assumed that perhaps a cow had wandered into the woods and been attacked by a bear. I really didn't know if this was something a bear would actually do, but it was my only guess based on the sounds I was hearing at the time. It was clearly some kind of roar like a bear, but then followed by a frantic sounding cow's mooing. This went on for over an hour, and it was probably one of the most horrible sounds I ever heard. Even though it sounded so strange and almost supernatural, it didn't frighten me since I had a rational explanation in my head. Even weirder, this same series of sound happened again the next summer. These first few years, I never investigated the area of the woods the sounds came from since it was not my property. A couple of years later, I had the chance to purchase this area and 70 acres to the west, which consisted of the woods that connected to mine as well as a few tilled fields, more woods, and ponds. As part of purchasing this land, I spent a great deal of time walking around on it to get a good understanding of its value and layout. As part of my walk, I was able to get a much better look at the farm set up to the south. The farm did have cows as expected, but to my surprise, the area they were kept in was a long distance from my house, much too far for me to hear them, and the fencing was also extremely well built and electrified. Looking at it, there was just no way a cow was wandering off from that farm. I didn't really think about this fact until recently, but feeling it's best to lay everything out in a chronological order. After acquiring the property, I proceeded to put up tree stands at various locations along with trail cameras in order to prepare for the upcoming deer hunting season. One spot was this hilly woods where I heard those sounds many years prior. Again, 
I did not connect these two things until now. This area was very odd, as whenever I hiked through there, I would always see some new strange thing. One time, my son and I found an old game snare tied to a tree with what looked like to be dried blood on the tree bark. Another time, we found an at least a hundred-year-old tree with barbed wire fencing, completely spiraling the entire trunk, growing in and out at different intervals. I also found many tree trunks with large scratch or claw marks, not resembling any antler rub. Perhaps a bear? We'd almost always find dead animal bones in this area, and even this winter I found a couple of deer legs snapped and picked clean. My son has found numerous animal skulls there as well. As I was saying, I put a game camera in the area since I had seen tracks and signs and wanted to get a sense of the best place to hunt. I placed one there many seasons and have yet to capture a single thing on it. Nothing. My son has posted there a couple of times for hunting season and has mentioned the strange sense of quiet. He's used to the forest sounds coming back after sitting still for a long period of time, but in this spot, there are never any sounds. He has mentioned hearing something walking around, though. Another incident occurred one hunting season when I was entering this area en route to another stand when I saw a violent thrashing of the foliage, moving fast and crossing from right to left, but moving away from a position. I, of course, encountered deer and bear all the time, so I'm familiar with how they move when spooked, but this was something different. Whatever this thing was made a high-pitched trumpeting combined with bellowing sound that was like nothing I'd ever heard from an animal outside an elk, which we don't have in this area. It wasn't bounding and there wasn't this raised white tail or large dark mass to indicate a deer or a bear. There really didn't appear to be a body at all. Just whipping and flailing leaves and branches along with deafening sounds. A year after this incident, my son went out hiking in the woods to try and find me since I was out doing some forest management. As he walked through this area, he thought he spotted me coming through the woods fast, but quickly noticed that the walk and clothing were nothing like mine. Whoever it was was also a lot taller than me, and he described him as extremely thin. He said the person he saw did not notice him at all, and seemed to be walking in a straight line like they had tunnel vision or something. Seeing someone in this part of the woods and their direction of travel don't at all make sense since there really would be no reason to be there or to be heading that way, as it leads to a deep ravines and an uncrossable river. After he found me and explained what he saw, I quickly went over to investigate to see if we had a trespasser. I hiked for a quick while, but never found anything or anyone. If someone was there, they either got picked up on the road or vanished. That same year, my son had a friend over and they went for a late afternoon walk in the woods. As it began to get dark, they made their way back by walking on the edge of the field that is next to this area of woods. 
As they passed by, they said they saw a figure a little way off in the trees. Whatever they saw was near one of the hills in this patch of forest and seemed to be making some kind of hand gestures. It began walking slowly towards them when they called out, Hey, hello! He or it stopped still and said nothing. It was at this point the boys sensed something wasn't right and bolted back towards the house. They rushed into the house and told me what they saw, and I of course laughed it off, as their minds playing tricks on them. My son described the figure as very tall, like 10 to 15 feet, but with skinny arms and his body was dark all over. Not hairy per se, but dark. They even thought it was an animal at first because of the weird way it looked. He couldn't really describe it very well other than gaunt or skinny and strangely dark. Me, being the curious and protective father I am, was worried about it being trespassers, drug addicts, or both. So I told them I would go and take a look. They brought me to the area and pointed to where it was standing, and I headed into the woods. Since it was winter and there was snow on the ground, I thought it would be easy to locate the tracks of whatever this was and find out where it came from or went to. When I got to the spot, there wasn't a single track or disturbance in the snow. There was no way an animal or man could have been in that area and not left tracks. They had either made it up or their minds were playing tricks on them. Or so I thought. To this day, my son and his friends still swear they saw it clear as day and I can definitely attest that their fright was real. My wife has also experienced strange thrashing sounds and other feelings of dread or being watched in this part of the woods and generally refuses to go over there anymore. All this brings me to today, where I had a sudden realization that all this strange sounds, sightings, bones, and events seem to be centered around this one area, and I'm just at a complete loss to what it all means. It's all too strange to really bring this up and discuss it with people I know around here, but I wanted to share my story and see if anyone in this community might have any theories or ideas on what we might be dealing with here. I'll continue to investigate on my end, but would love to see what you all think. Some photos of the area where these events occurred, including some pictures of new dead animal evidence I found today. And I will go through the photos on screen for you.
I was walking through the woods, alone and at peace. Till I heard my mother's voice in my ear. It's been so long, murderous daughter. Mommy, please help me. The pleading voice of my son echoed all around me. After spending days lost in this damn forest, the birds' voices have turned from sad to torturing. The pizza place I work at has a spirit watching us do our closing duties. By Your Gay Uncle 2112. So I work at a pizza place that is like a three minute drive to a very haunted cemetery that was on ghost adventures at one point. We are also on a very busy road that at least seen two deaths every month from drunk drivers. So I don't know where this shadow figure who watches us comes from. I've only been working at this pizza place for a year and almost every night he does something. He's a tall figure that I've heard speak sometimes. One time, both my managers had to leave, so they put me in charge of closing. I was pretty cool with it because who wouldn't want to blast their favorite music in the dining room speakers? So I saw someone in the kitchen just staring at me, and I heard a male's voice ask me if I cleaned the bathrooms. It didn't click in my mind it wasn't a manager because it was 4am and... I just got through a 10-hour shift running off a monster and a slice of pizza. I look up to see a tall man in the kitchen, slowly into the darkness of it all. So I was like, what the fuck? And wait outside. Another time was when I was helping a customer carry out around six of our biggest pizzas and some of our food on our catering menu without giving away where I work. Two of those pizzas could feed a class of 20 with a decent-sized slice. Her car was in the back of our parking lot, which is always an absolute mess. While walking, I felt the same feeling I feel around the spirit telling me to stay by the car for a couple of seconds to help the customer make sure everything is secure. I think he saved my life when a car came in speeding and nearly hit somebody. It may be stupid, but I feel like I would have been killed. I don't think this spirit is evil. I just think the spirit may be lost or something. The building isn't that old at all. I'm now only thinking about this because I was talking to my two managers about this. I'll share their stories since I'm certain they don't use Reddit. So, I'm going to call my manager Daisy. Daisy would do her run around before leaving to make sure everything is clean for the morning shift. She says that she always felt followed, and the feeling is always followed up by something of our trays being thrown to the floor. Nothing was ever thrown at her, though. I feel like he's just trying to grab her attention. Or when she's sitting in the dining room doing paperwork, she absolutely refuses to look in the kitchen or any of the mirrors because, even if he may be friendly, it's still unsettling. I've never interacted with the spirit because I'm scared that it could be dangerous even if he's friendly. I refuse to even close by myself. Should I even be worried about him? My sister flung a phone at my face while I walked towards her laughing maniacally. 
I couldn't hide my glee as I ran the lawnmower over her phony body and watched as the blades tore her once beautiful face to shreds. My Haunted College House. I'm not sure it was human. By Bikini6125 Hello all. I just recently joined the sub and I figured I'd share my paranormal experience. I moved out of my parents' house for the first time and rented a house about 10 minutes away from my friend and his sister. This started out normal enough. Going to school, going to work, college parties, etc. The first experience we had involved random banging noises coming from the basement. It came up in conversation between us, but we didn't think too much of it. Things began escalating after a few months of living there, however. One day I returned home from work and sat down in the living room. I began hearing voices from my roommate's bedroom and thought my friend's sister must be home. I walked over to say hello and the voices stopped. No one was home. I thought that was weird, but went back to the living room to sit down. The voices started up again and lasted about 15 minutes. I could only make out a word here or there, so I can't speak to any specifics. But I heard we and them, and that's about it. My male roommate had a cat, and it would sleep in his room every night. My roommate told me that he awoke to something grabbing or touching his feet in the middle of the night. He thought it was his cat's tail or something, but when he sat up, the cat was asleep on the floor. As a college house, we frequently had house parties with our close friends. Our friend Corey had often passed out in the recliner in the living room. One morning, after he spent the night, he told us he felt something grab his feet, and after a few minutes, it pulled him out of the chair by his feet onto the floor. At this point, I figured the house was haunted, but I wasn't overly worried about it. The atmosphere changed dramatically, however, when I would get this strong feeling of dread and hate towards me when I was home alone. This feeling was very strong in the basement. Whenever leaving the house, I would get this distinct feeling something was watching me leave. Now, the cherry on top. I was asleep one night when I suddenly woke with that feeling of dread. I looked across the room, and there was a figure standing with its arms resting on top of the desk chair. I couldn't make out all of its features, but I distinctly remember dark curly hair, its eyes, and that button-up shirt it was wearing. At first, I thought someone must have broken into our house. I stood up on my bed and confronted the figure. I asked, who the fuck are you? It didn't answer me, and after getting angrier, I threatened it and took a step forward. It disappeared. I didn't tell anyone what I saw, because I couldn't be 100% sure it wasn't a dream, and I didn't want to freak my roommates out further. A month or so later, we were having another house party. The group of people there were all close friends. Our friend Amanda went downstairs to get her purse that she had left down there and soon came running up the stairs hysterical. She said she saw a dude standing in the corner who she had never seen before. We went to investigate and found nothing. 
I asked her to describe him, and she described the figure I saw exactly. Again, I didn't tell anyone about what I saw in my room. We moved out soon after this, and I was glad to be rid of that place. Having never learned to swim, I was terrified when I fell overboard in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. As I sank beneath the waves and took what should have been my last breath, I was even more horrified to learn that I could breathe underwater as I continued sinking even deeper. Very Strange Encounter on Mount Sashta by White Gillico. I've recently moved to Weed, California a small town next to Mount Sashta, for work. I'm an avid hiker, and I love exploring. So naturally, two days ago, I decided to go for a hike on the mountain one of my days off. Not entirely sure why, but I decided to drive my car very deep into the forest surrounding the base of the mountain. As far as a dirt road will allow me, anyways. It was around 3 p.m. with a clear sky, so I was very confident and enjoyed the scenery as I got out of my car and started my hike, heading closer to the mountain. At first, it was your regular everyday hike. Lots of birds and squirrels around. That smell of nature that fills your lungs as you walk across the terrain. It wasn't until I reached a small, dried-up river that I noticed something was... off. As I stopped to look at the dried-up river and take pictures, I noticed that it was strangely very, very quiet. No birds chirping, no signs of squirrels or any other animals, and even the sounds of the wind you hear when you're on a mountain seem to be completely gone. At the time, I thought it was just an odd coincidence and started walking alongside the river. But as I kept walking and being able to only hear my own footsteps, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. Not the kind of feeling that makes you think that someone is outside your window watching you. The kind of feeling that makes you feel like multiple people or things are observing your every movement, studying you. I never had that kind of feeling in my life, but what happened after made me completely forget about that feeling. I suddenly started to hear something out of nowhere that sounded like angelic humming or maybe a song with no lyrics, but it also sounded strangely electric, like the sound of a telephone line makes. It wasn't very loud but it was enough to make me look in the direction it was coming from. I looked to the other side of that dried-up river that had multiple trees and other foliage to see someone or something looking straight at me. It almost looked like a ghost, with it looking completely white. But this thing was very clearly there. It almost looked like it was wearing a robe, but I couldn't see any feet, hands, or even a face. 
although it had an oval head. However, I could feel it looking straight at me, almost as if it was trying to remember every detail. Even from far away, I could tell that the entire body had a very weird texture. Almost like porcelain, but if porcelain was a silky fabric. It was very obviously not human. I was very understandably in complete shock and terror, frozen in place, kind of scared. We both looked at each other for what felt like forever, but it was most likely 20 to 30 seconds. I very, very slowly started walking backwards. I don't think it took more than two steps when it tilted its head as if it was curious or even surprised at what I was doing. All the while, I could still hear that electric, angelic humming, and I swear it got a little louder when I took those steps back. When I turned my head to look behind me to make sure the way was clear so I could run, the song suddenly stopped, abruptly without warning. This shocked me, and when I turned back to look at the thing, it was gone. No sign of it anywhere. As soon as I saw that it disappear, I ran as fast as I could, following the path I took back. Even after it had disappeared, and while I was running, I could still feel like I was being watched from all sides. I almost tripped a few times in how fast I was going. When I got to my car, the sounds of the animals and the mountain wind suddenly came back, but I was still scared on my mind and drove as fast as I could away from the mountain. I never had anything paranormal happen to me in the past, and I've honestly always been very skeptical of stuff like that. But this experience has left me questioning a lot of things. I don't think I want to go back on that mountain. I've even had nightmares about the experience. I'm not even sure what I saw or what to call it. I was riding my bike down the road till a truck hit me in the back, making me almost fall. As the man came behind me, I took my knife out and stabbed him in the heart, finally catching my prey. I have no idea what to do, and I really need all the advice I can get. Bye, Squishy Gushy. I think I'm being haunted and I don't know what to do. I moved into an old farmhouse a few years ago, roughly about seven years. There's a little cemetery in the front yard with about six gravestones, I think. It's hard to tell. My mom never cleaned it up and they've been dead for over a hundred years or so. But in the beginning, before fully moving in, doorknobs would jingle, only upstairs. Doors would close upstairs while we were talking in the kitchen downstairs. We just brushed it off and assumed it was just because the air coming on or the air coming through the cracked windows pushing a door shut. We all wake up with scratches and bruises on our legs, back, arms, stomach, chest, wherever, but I'm most affected out of everyone. 
I've woken up with scratches in the form of a smiley face. I have had the same exact dream, but with a slightly different involving some kind of demon. And I think I might have brought something into my house playing with a Ouija board when I was younger. I'll explain everything shortly. When we first moved into the house, I was scared like a normal kid would be of the dark and things. But I would see dark shadows, dark blob-like figures moving at night in the darkness in my room. I picked my room because it had a hospital bed in it, and the door was bolted shut. I was super into creepy stuff slash supernatural things. A week after moving in, my mom had to get cable set up, and the guy came over and he did his usual stuff. But then he had to move to the basement to put the cable through the floor and everything, etc, etc. Being that we lived on a farm and my stepdad was the only one home during the time that he was there, he had to go out and feed the cows while he was in the basement finishing up. The man said while he was working he heard something, not quite sure it's been years. So he turned around and at the top of the steps there was this figure of a man standing in the basement doorway looking at him. He told my stepdad, and we just decided to ignore it. Weeks pass, and one night I get out of bed at about 12 or 1 a.m. to go pee, and go to pass the steps to go downstairs, and hear footsteps coming up towards me, someone hitting their hand on the railing. I froze for a second in fear, and chose to run back to my bedroom. The following weeks after that, things would go missing as soon as we laid them down, and we would find them in our shoes or little silly places that we never would put them down. Like an apple on the counter, and we couldn't find it, and the next day it would be in the car. Little things like that. Constantly. I thought it was funny, and I told my family it was just the ghost and was playing a cute trick on us, and I gave it a name. My whole family refers to it as Robert, and when things go missing, we go, Robert, can you give it back? Or, oh, that's just Robert, etc., etc. A year goes by, these things are always happening. Thumps, writing on the steps, things being stolen. I started to ask my mom for a Ouija board. I want one. I want to talk to the ghosts with my friends. I want to scare my brothers. I play all the dumb ghost games online, like... Cat Scratch, Sandman, and Bloody Mary, the Charlie Charlie game, every single scary story you look up to play with friends at sleepovers, I was playing it. And they always worked. Not Bloody Mary. But the Cat Scratch game always worked. And I loved it. I was addicted. And I wanted more. So I moved up. I wanted a Ouija board. I wanted to talk to the real deal. I asked my mom and she was oblivious, so she bought me one. I would play with my friends, cousins, my brothers, and by myself. Sometimes I moved it to scare them, and sometimes I didn't move it at all. And it moved by itself, especially when I did it alone. And I thought it was a dumb trick the board did so people would buy it. I was a child. I didn't know any better. After I started using the Ouija board, I stopped for a while, and things died down a lot in the house. For a while. The only thing that would happen was I would see the shadow at night, 
All the time, dark black blobs, sometimes they had arms that would come out of the dark masses that they were. My stepdad was outside one day, and his truck was off, and the key wasn't even in it, and the truck revved its engine. I remember my stepdad telling me this clearly. I even asked my ex-boyfriend to back the story up for me because I told him as soon as it happened. And he told me it did happen, and he remembered. I asked my family about it just recently, and they told me they had no recollection of it ever happening. No one remembered it at all. Everything seems to be getting progressively worse. A few months ago, I was sitting watching Family Guy, glanced down at my phone for a second and glanced back up, and the whole family was standing on the screen staring at me. And the whole screen was black with a darkish red tint, and their eyes were black. So, so black. And blood was gushing out of their mouths, but... It was dark red, just like the dark black tint the screen was, but more red. I was so scared. I started to cry and looked down at my phone trying to call someone. I looked back up and it was back to normal. I tried researching if it was a part of an episode and asked many people, but no one could tell me anything. Recently, I've been getting more scratches, and even scratches in the form of smiley faces, which I have pictures of, and bruises, deep, dark, purple bruises. I have pictures of those also. And my mom gets those more than anyone else in the house. And my mom, when she sleeps, she does astral projection. I, I think that's what it's called. It's out-of-the-body experience. She watches herself sleep at night. She told me once she was watching herself and my stepdad sleep, and she saw these hands come out from under the bed and grab his ankle and start to pull on him. She then tried to wake him up, but couldn't, and ended up waking herself up. I asked her about that recently as well, and she had no recollection of that either, but my brothers remember her talking about it. More recently, I'll be trying to sleep, and I'm almost asleep, and my shirt will start to rise up, and I'll feel this weird tingly feeling on my skin, and have to pull my shirt down, and will then be fully awake and freaking out. I will hear music. A few days ago, I heard what sounded like carousel music coming from outside my room at 3am. The stomps and the running up the steps happen almost every night. But the main reason I'm putting this on this subreddit is because recently I've been telling whatever has been hurting me and my family to go away and leave me alone, and an online friend has been saying it's over the phone as well. A week or so ago, I had a dream that me and my boyfriend were on the phone, and I got scared for some reason. The dream felt super real. I thought it was real. So he told me to tell it to go away, so I proceeded to tell whatever it was to go away, and laughed. I kept repeating the third time I said go away after I heard laughter, it was not my voice anymore. It was the scariest fucking voice I have ever heard in my life. The most demonic voice I have ever fucking heard. I'm tearing up right now typing this. 
and I couldn't control my voice or what I was saying anymore. And I just kept saying, go away, in this demonic voice. And my boyfriend, who was on the phone in the dream, was so scared. I finally got my voice back, and I was crying, and I said sorry. But it scared me so bad, I woke up shaking and crying. I woke up with some scratches after that dream, but they weren't that bad. Last night, I had the exact same dream, except of him using me to speak. I started to breathe rather hard, and spit started to come out of my mouth, and my eyes started to roll in the back of my head. My boyfriend started freaking out again, and I started crying again. And it stopped, but this time my boyfriend said, I think I gotta go. Because he was so scared. And I begged him not to leave me alone. And that's when the demonic voice came through the phone this time. And I got scared and hung up in the dream. After hanging up, the voice kept going through the phone. Couldn't understand what he was saying. I think because I was scared. And then I woke up. Last night before this dream happened, I woke up 50 times and was so exhausted that the last time I woke up before I had the dream, I felt something sitting down on my bed, but I was too exhausted to stay awake, so I just curled up in a ball. And before I had went to bed hours before, my brother had showed me these huge, really bad scratches on his leg. They were super long and almost to the point of bleeding. My stepdad also had a nightmare last night, but I haven't gotten around to asking him what it was about yet. I have also been dealing with super bad migraines for months now, and they've been so bad to the point where I've just curled up in a ball with sunglasses and a hoodie over my head, with no noises just to get any comfort. I wake up in the mornings nauseous and gagging, and have been put on multiple migraine medications. The pills I'm on now seem to be helping, but I still have them sometimes and still get nauseous in the mornings. I used to vomit midday at the house. I don't know what to do or what's happening, and I really need advice. Please, if anyone can help or give any input, I would greatly appreciate it. There's nothing outside. My husband told me, pulling his head back into our tent and hurriedly zipping it closed. I let out a sigh of relief before he continued. Babe, you don't understand. There's a void out there. Like, literally nothing. The team that created the corn maze for the Animal Country Fair were prepared to deal with finding lost children. Just not the ones who were lost last year. Moved out of my childhood home with my fiancé and I can sleep again. Here's the story of that house. By Stonewall30NYR I'll separate the individual stories and I'll gladly answer any questions, but I legitimately grew up in a haunted house. It's not like in the movies. There's sometimes months between events and then something happens and it just surrounds you with an oppressive feeling. 
Always feeling watched, uncomfortable, and unwelcome there in an otherwise wonderful childhood slash family. Growing up, I was scared of that place, but I didn't know why. I loved being there, but it was creepy. I could hear footsteps in the attic, which wasn't even walkable, it was unfinished. I could see dark shapes moving at night, but the worst thing to happen was one night I couldn't fall asleep, and it was 11pm, which was late for me. I was watching cartoons, and out of nowhere a stack of loose leaves get flung off the shelf and go halfway across the room, papers flying everywhere. I turned on the lights so fast it had to be a record. Coming from a huge family, it was almost unheard of to be home alone. But one Thanksgiving, after a shift at CVS, which is a drugstore in the States, I went home to change before meeting up with my family at my aunt's house. I'm upstairs in my room when I hear clear as day footsteps of someone walking around, opening and closing cabinets and the trash can. I go down thinking someone was waiting for me to give them a ride, when I realized that I was actually alone. I was hit with a feeling of dread and felt surrounded, so I nope the F out of there. I know what you'll tell me, it's just interference, but across from the Xbox 360, PS4, PS5, Discord on my laptop, and five different phones... People have told me that they've heard what sounded like an old man and a young girl arguing, even though there wasn't anyone talking in my house. Once on the PS4, one of their mics was echoing and I heard it myself and it felt like it was right behind me. They were screaming stuff like, See? We've been telling you about this shit for years, dude. My little sister, about six years old, with tears in her eyes, mentioned, the shadows that move around and are darker than the darkest part of the room. My dad, who's the biggest skeptic and yells at us all for scaring ourselves whenever we talk about our experiences, came downstairs one night pale as humanly possible. For reference, he's Italian and so tan that as a kid I thought he was a black man, and told us that while watching the Yankees game in his room, he felt like someone was there, so I rolled over and there was a shadowy figure just leaning over the bed, staring at him. He believed us after that, lol. I had a dream that my dad was going to ask me to put away the Christmas decorations in the basement. I brought down the nativity and remember thinking I probably shouldn't let baby Jesus be face down. For some reason, so I made sure I placed him face up. When I went down with the next few things, I noticed he was face down and was like, F, that's not good. And I looked up and saw a seven-foot-tall shadow figure with a weird wolf-like head on a humanoid body. Without facing me or moving, it kind of just spoke in my head. I found you. Over and over until I woke up. There are many more stories to tell, but basically those are most of the biggest. In general, it was just a day-to-day -day feeling of being watched or creeped out. I had trouble sleeping there because I always felt like something was there when I closed my eyes. 
But thank God now I moved and I'm not experienced even one-tenth of the stuff. But I still randomly will get this little feeling or hear a faint whisper. It's funny. I live literally with a cemetery as my backyard and experience practically nothing compared to that house. All my life I wish Pokemon were real, so I was ecstatic when my wish came true last week. But when the reports started flying in of massive earthquakes, summer ice storms, and children disappearing from their own birthday parties, I realized that having only 300 people in each game wasn't due to constraints on the Game Boy technology. Footsteps in the Loft by EI95 Coming on here to share a story of an old house I lived in when I was younger. Brace yourself, it may be long. We moved in there as a family. My parents, her brother, and I, when I was around seven. It was a semi-detached UK house, with two bedrooms and a loft. The bedroom my brother and I shared had access to the loft, via a standard door and a staircase leading up to the large loft in-suite. My father used to sleep and work there before he moved out, as my parents were separated for a long time before their divorce. While he still lived there, however, I became accustomed to the sounds of him walking in the loft and down the stairs to me and my brother's bedroom. This is important for later. Again, I knew the inside and out what footsteps sounded like when someone was in the loft, or walking down the stairs to the bedroom. Anyway, before my father moved out, a lot of stuff happened between him and my mother. So I remember starting to feel a deeply troubling energy whenever I was in the house. After he left, I still continued to hear footsteps of someone pacing up and down the loft and sometimes down the stairs to the door where my brother and my bedroom was. My mother would often go up there to use the ensuite, so there were many occasions where I heard the pacing and went up thinking I'd find my mother there, but the loft would be empty. I heard these footsteps a lot in the evenings, all the way from downstairs in the living room. They were heavy, and sometimes would slow down or speed up. I dreaded when my mother would send me up there to get some wrapping paper or something else. I distinctly remember walking up to the landing where the main bathroom, master bedroom, and my bedroom while still hearing these footsteps going back and forth. I reached the attic door and the minute I would open it, they would stop. Sometimes when I felt brave, I do a thorough check of the loft space and ensuite. Again, finding no one there. This went on for months, maybe even a year. And to add to the footsteps, the door which led to the loft began to sometimes open slightly and then slam shut. I put it down to a draft 
despite no windows being open and despite the force in which it was being slammed. I also deeply considered that I, an eight-year-old, was going crazy. I thought maybe the divorce and the negative experience in the house were making me see and hear things, and I was resolved to confide in my mother for help, which I didn't. One day, my mother wanted to go food shopping. There was a safe way about 40 minutes walk away from the house, but on that specific day, I was too tired to do the 40-minute walk, and I threw a tantrum. Adamant, I was going to stay home by myself. My brother and mom left, and I sat down on the sofa to watch TV. The sofa was against the wall of the staircase leading up to the landing with the bedrooms. After about 20 minutes, I began to hear the footsteps pacing the loft and started getting spooked. I remember thinking, it's all good, they'll stop soon, or if they don't, nothing bad will happen. There's nothing up there. And then they started coming down the loft stairs. At this point, I turned the TV volume way up. I consoled myself with the idea that this was a usual thing, and I remember telling myself, it's okay, they'll stay there. But they didn't. I started hearing them heavily walking across my room. That feeling was like absolute horror. Like someone was up there and now knew I was alone. Again, I thought, okay, as long as they stay a floor above me, I'll be good. I calculated in my head that the steps should have reached the top of the staircase leading to my floor by now. I held my breath, heard nothing, and was about to dismiss it all as stupidity. But then, it started walking slowly, but loudly down the stairs just behind me. To the right of me was the door entering the living room, and I made the decision that I was not going to look, because there was something there, and I could hear that something was there. Anyway, I started singing to myself. I sang Twinkle Twinkle Star so loudly over and over again. And to be honest, I don't remember much after that, apart hearing a knock on the door after what felt like literally only a minute, even though my brother and mother were probably only halfway to Safeway, and then opened it to see both my mother and brother back with the shopping. The footsteps continued after that like they did before this day, as well as the door slamming. I never told anyone and he moved shortly after. I never brought it up again until I was about 11. By then, I had chalked these events down to my life at that house having a negative effect on my mental health. So my brother and I had gone to dinner with my dad at a Pizza Express, and he must have been talking about spooky things. I thought, oh, why not tell them what I experienced in that house? I told the story in a brief way with not much detail. I looked up to see my brother literally go pale. 
All he said was, I heard them too. And he went on to describe the sound, the speed, the heaviness of the footsteps. The change of direction, the door slamming, all of it. My father suggested it was a neighbor due to the house being semi-detached. But even as an eight-year-old, I was thorough. I made sure I could defend it. I often heard neighbors running or going up and down the stairs. And that wasn't it. Without telling my wife, I made a deal with the devil to exchange my firstborn for my newborn daughter's life. As her delicate eyes fluttered open, my wife clutched her heart and fell dead. The Green Woman by Big Tack Bro I made a post a couple of days ago recounting the time I was being watched by a shadow while working. I got one more quick encounter that I believe to have been paranormal. It's not nearly as creepy as a shadow, though. When I was a kid, around seven years old, I think, I spent the day at a cousin's house in my old hometown. He lived right in the middle of town, so we could ride our bikes everywhere. This was back in 98, and in the tiny place I come from, everyone knows everyone and keeps an eye out for the safety of any kids they see. When my mom dropped me off at my aunt's house that morning, she gave me some money to be able to go to the corner store for snacks for my cousin and I. After a while, hunger struck and took off on my bike to Reeves Grocery. It was the best stock store in town. There were only two stores. Holding up, I noticed an old maroon-colored car parked outside. Reeves Store's front was a short brick wall about a quarter of the way up, but from the brick up to the roof was all glass. The type of glass that you can see through on one side, but is mirrored on the other. I didn't pay the car too much mind at first. I rode up onto the sidewalk and gently rested the handlebars of my bike against the wall. I hopped off my bike and, by force of habit, I looked into the store's window. In the reflection behind me in the old maroon car sat a little old lady in the passenger seat. She was dressed in all green, dark green, wearing a barrette hat, and she had on one of those crocheted Afghan blankets draped around her shoulders. She looked very, very old. Deep wrinkles covered her face to the point that I couldn't even see her eyes, and her skin had a gray tint to it. She smiled sweetly at me in the mirror, but that's when I turned around to wave and smile back. She wasn't in the car. Confused, I glanced back at the store window and I could still see her sitting there in the passenger seat, smiling at me. Fight or flight kicked in and I aborted all thoughts of 3D Doritos and Gatorade and raced off as quick as I could. Hell, I didn't even get on my bike. I grabbed it by those handlebars and pushed it as I ran as fast as my little legs would go. Looking back, the little lady really seemed to mean me no harm. 
Her wrinkled face looked kind, her smile was warm, but my seven-year-old brain yelled ghosts and told me to run. When I told my mom about it a few days later, she told me sometimes spirits get stuck or have unfinished business, so they can't pass on. I remember this encounter fondly these days, though, and wish I could have better reacted to the situation. Maybe I could have helped the green lady somehow. Reincarnating into a rock for being a murderer seemed like a stupid punishment. But nobody told me I'd be feeling the scorching sun, drowning in the river, suffocating under other rocks, and... Oh God, where are these kids going to throw me? Shadow in the Tree Line by Dig Tack Bro. This is a cross post from another forum because I feel like it's paranormal, but I'm not entirely sure. The other Reddit page I posted to said no paranormal stories, so I just wanted to be on the safe side. This might end up being a long story, but I want to be as detailed as possible. I work for my city's water department. My everyday job consists of repairing leaks or doing new installations for businesses and homes. There are two parts to our water department that keeps everything running. Distribution, where I normally work, and production. Production deals with the chemical side of things. They chlorinate the water and do water sample checks. Production is also responsible for the upkeep of our water well sites and our water storage facilities, like the tall water towers you might have seen in your city. Mowing grass is one of those responsibilities. Both parts of our department are extremely understaffed right now, so we sometimes give the production guys a hand with the grass when they need it. A couple weeks ago, it was my turn, and here is where the weirdness begins. My city is in central Louisiana with a population of about 45,000 people. We're surrounded by a wooded area. No matter which way you travel into or out of town, you're going to see plenty of trees. As such, a lot of our well sites are located out in the boonies. Most of our city trucks are four-wheel drive with mud grip because it's needed more often than not. I had the foresight to cut that day. I headed out just before sunrise to the one at the end of the long dirt road. Where if trouble strikes, your phone better be charged because no one is going to be able to hear you yell for help. Surprisingly, this isn't where my strange encounter took place. The sun was rising and was approaching my first sight and on the road ahead of me stepped out a doe and her two fawns. Excitedly, I hurried to snap some pictures. To my surprise, the mama and her babies were not afraid of the loud, rumbling diesel I was driving. The speckled fawns made their way across the path as mom calmly watched me in the truck. Once the babies were safely across, she looked back the way she came and then joined the little ones in the tree line on the opposite side of the road. 
I breeze through my mowing, load the equipment back onto the trailer, and text my mom the picture of the deer as I head back into town. My mom messaged me back saying, I've read that deer are an omen of good fortune. Looks like you're going to have a great day. Be safe. I love you. And I did have a great day. I knocked out the next two sites without issue and everything was going smoothly until I reached the gates of the last place I had to mow. McKeithen's site is the biggest one we have that's closer to town. It's about the size of a football field. It's not in the middle of nowhere, but it's on the outskirts of the city. There's normally plenty of traffic that travels the road there, so there's really no feeling of seclusion, even though it's surrounded by thick woods on three sides. I've cut this spot plenty of times, but that day felt different. I pulled the truck through and hopped out to lock the gate behind me. Immediately, I felt like I needed to get back in the truck as quickly as possible. I made my way down the driveway to park near the tower like I have done many times before. But after I parked and killed the truck, everything felt heavy and silent. I don't know how long I sat until I was able to will myself to open the door and get out. Instantly, I felt eyes on me. The feeling was coming from the back right corner of the field outside the fence, just in the tree line where the palmette bushes grow. I calmed my nerves and reminded myself that I was surrounded by an eight-foot inclinable fence with the gate locked. Yeah, if someone had a gun then they could have shot me if they wanted to, but they weren't going to actually get to me. If the barbed wire at the top of the fence didn't get them, a face full of weed-eater string blades would. I jumped on the zero turn and took off mowing, keeping an eye on the back corner during every pass. After about two hours, it took multiple runs due to overgrowth, I had an entire front mowed and it was time to hit the back by the creepy corner. I was about to head that way, but the mower blades wouldn't engage. I had to take the covers off, pull the grass out of the belts, and rip grass out of the under of the deck. I had to grease the pulleys and do all sorts of troubleshooting. I finally got the blades to go, but then the gas light came on. I didn't realize it until later, but it felt like something was doing everything it could to keep me from going to that part of the lot. I finally got everything up and running and mowed the back as quickly as possible, doing everything I could to keep a sight on that fence. I finally got done and lowered the mower. I still had to do a little bit of weed eating around the area, but when the weed eater wouldn't start, I knew it was time to go. I hadn't had an issue with it all day, but it was the last hint that I needed to get out of there. After pulling out of the gate and locking it behind me, I turned out onto the highway to head home but not before looking at the back corner one last time. That's when I finally saw it. The unmistakable shadow of a figure standing in the parliaments. It wasn't trying to hide or make itself unseen. It was there. Being at a safe distance from it, I stopped and watched. It moved to the side as if it was bending to try to see me better at the road. It had no distinguishing features, no hair, no clothes, just a person-shaped mass. I decided I had to get as far from there as I could. 
The thought that I had been so close to it for so long and never saw it sent chills to my core. I called my mom later that night and told her what had happened. She told me that she did some more reading about seeing the deer and learned that they are a sign of protection. Some people believe that a deer means that a higher power is watching over you. After my mom told me that, I couldn't help but think, what if I had not seen the deer that morning? Would I have even seen the shadow? Would it have been able to do something to me? Why did it choose to show itself to me? Is it something about me, or is it tied to that part of the woods? My mom texted me even later that night. She was sitting out on her back step in my old little hometown when she heard some rustling near the storage shed. She shone her phone light into the dark, and what stands there? But a deer. Deer never come into the backyard before. But that night, a large deer stood tall, staring back at my mom. She told me she felt like it was there to say, It's okay. He's safe. Don't worry. We got him. Y'all, I feel so dumb for not thinking of this before. There has been a lot of land clearing in the area over the last few months. I'm not sure if someone has bought the property that surrounds the site, but a lot of trees have been cut down. Maybe the shadow is tied to the forest. Maybe it saw me mowing the grass and thought I had something to do with the deforestation going on. Do you think this is a stretch? Life's been hard since mom's death, but as I sat in the mirror rehearsing my lines, I knew I was going to give the performance of my lifetime. Mom, if you're out there, please come home. We're worried about you. After a grueling 12-hour shift and a tasteless meal and a long bus ride home, I stumbled into my tiny, dark apartment, opened a beer, and collapsed on the couch in front of the TV. Tomorrow, it will be the same. And the day after, and the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. Guardian Angels by Caterpillar Puzzle 32. I've told this story many, many times to others that are non believers. I'm sorry if there's any spelling mistakes due to English not being my first language, and I also want to mention that this is my first one, but here we go. Before I start telling the story, I want to tell you about the dog my grandparents had. Her name was Billy, and we were one soul. She died at a really young age due to kidney failure. And to understand how close we were, we did everything together. I even understood when she wanted to tell me something. I never experienced something like that with an animal, but she was very special. And the most important thing that has to do with this story is that she always wanted to protect me. Now to the story. As a child, I practiced handball for many years. I always walked to my practices, and to go there, I had to cross a street. I crossed the street thousands of times before, 
But sadly, a lot of people don't care about the speed limit and go a lot faster. My mother made me very paranoid about crossing the streets and getting hit by a car. So I always checked multiple times if a car was coming or not. So little me checked if there was safe to go. And when I was sure no car was coming, I went my way. As soon as I set foot on the road, a car was racing towards me at very high speeds. My 7-8 to year old self honestly thought at that moment, Okay, that was it. I'm going to die. Until I felt two strong arms wrap around my stomach and a tug on my leg. I was now back on the sidewalk and the car flew by. Someone saved me, I thought in my head. With tears in my eyes, I turned around to thank the person that just saved me from death. But there was nobody. Not a single soul. The weird thing is that normally there are always people walking by or cars driving past the street. But not this time. I was very confused and went home totally forgetting where I was originally heading. As I walked into my flat, my mother looked at me and said something about me looking like I'd seen a ghost. Well, I guess kinda. I told my mother what happened, and she said that one of my guardian angels must have saved me. She told me about my great-grandfather had passed away before my birth. That night, I dreamt about a man with a big, rushy eyebrows and my dog Billy next to him. So I went up to him to said hi and thanked him for taking care of my dog. Some years later, I finally saw a picture of my great-grandfather for the first time ever, and I was shocked. He was the man I saw in my dream that night. I truly believe that they saved me that day. I was shocked when the doctor told me I was technically dead for three whole minutes. Time moves quite differently in hell. I saw something that I wasn't supposed to see. Posted by 6,081 Miles. Narrated by PA Nightmares. I was once working as a receptionist at a five-star resort that's about 45 minutes away from the city center. Everyone who has worked in tourism and or hospitality knows that there are certain periods during the year where it's busier than usual, i.e. peak season. The incident happened during peak season. The resort was overbooked, and guests were checking into their rooms one after another at the reception counter. I was almost done checking in as a lovely couple when I saw a family of five standing behind them, and I tried to finish up the whole check-in process so I could assist the family that was next in line. You must be thinking when I said family of five, it's the parents and the three kids, right? But it's actually two kids and one elderly woman who at the time I assumed was either the husband or wife's mother. Now, the resort's policy was to get the details of every guest that was staying in the resort, and it's for good reason, safety. It's the same reason that all the airlines are doing when they obtain their passengers' information. So I told the husband that we need everyone's details, and he just said, sure, no problem. And of course, I was expecting five names on the registration form, by the time I realized that there were only four names, the family was already at the concierge area to pick up their luggage and then left to go to their room. 
I couldn't go after them, as I was assisting another guest. Like I said, it was peak season. So all I could do was just watch them from afar, walking towards the elevators, then disappearing from sight. The whole time they were walking, the old woman just followed them from behind quietly, but I didn't give much thought to it. I went right back to assisting the guest that was right in front of me. After the buzz had died down, at around 4pm, I decided to ring the family's room to inform them that they were missing details. The husband came down to the reception alone, and I told him I needed the info of his or his wife's mother's info. The man just stood there, stared at me for what felt like a minute, and said, It's only my wife and I, and our two kids. Me being confused obviously said, But, sir, I saw that there were five of you. At this point, I thought he was lying to avoid paying for a third person's charge for one of the rooms. They got two rooms, and one room only had enough amenities for two people. Same goes for the buffet breakfast that's included. He took another minute and asked me what did this elderly woman look like. To which I explained that she had gray hair and it was short, like a bob haircut. I also told him that she was wearing this red Chung Sam shirt, similar to this, with long black slack pants. Right after I told him that, he quickly took out his phone, frantically scrolled for a few seconds, and showed me a picture of the same woman in the same clothing, lying in a coffin that had a clear glass cover so you could still see inside. I just nodded slightly, and he said it's his mother. She died unexpectedly a few months ago. I was, to no surprise, too shocked to say anything at this point, but somehow managed to mutter the words, I'm so sorry for your loss, sir, and I'm so sorry about this. He said it was okay, gave me a small smile, and left without saying anything. When they checked out two days later, we just pretended like the whole thing never happened. Luckily enough, the elderly woman was not there. Still get goosebumps just thinking about it to this day. I'll be your server, she said as she placed a menu before me on the table. My blood ran cold when she smiled at the empty seat across from me, set down a kid's menu, and walked away. What Could Have Been by Gears19925 Narrated by Papa Scare When I was a kid, I'd see all sorts of shit in the house I grew up in. Talking full-body shadow figures that my dogs could see and react to, too. Footsteps up and down the basement stairs all night every night. The company could hear and ask about. Even one night while my friends and I were playing pool in the basement, a random basketball bounced from a shelf on one side of the room around the corner to the pool table and just stopped to just roll underneath the table in full view of everyone there. My friends who were there still talk about that one today. My mum and grandma both had their own experiences. Everything from my mum being pushed down the stairs to my grandma having the TV remote flung out of her hand Despite all that, I've always been a harsh skeptic. The only room in that house safe from the nonsense was my own room. My girlfriend, now wife, experienced it in the house before the fire. And she used to say she was afraid of the house apart from my room. That there was a very clear barrier that my own space had. 
I had another friend say something similar to me at one point. The only safe space in my house was whatever room I happened to be in. This particular friend was bigger and older than me. When the house burned down and they rebuilt, my girlfriend, now wife, was living with me and my family. She had a run-in with something much more aggressive. She sat at the computer in the kitchen facing away from the table, working on her resume. I was in our room playing some game. She thought I was coming up behind her, so she turned around, only to come face to face with a full-formed shadow that actually had a face she could see and describe. She screamed and I sprinted out to her from down the hall. As I got to the kitchen, I could also see it. It darted from the kitchen, across the living room, and made the blind smack the windows hard as it vanished through the front of the house. From then on, she was never alone while we stayed there. Scared her bad enough to not feel safe going to the bathroom without me being in the room with her, and she'd choose to hang out in my car while I was working over staying at the house. We've never had any more experiences anywhere else that we've lived. It's only paranormal because we can't scientifically describe and break down the individual occurrences. I don't know why we experienced so much of these weird events on that property, but clearly, whatever it was didn't like me. It was only ever willing to watch me from further away, whereas those that lived in the house with me were fair game to mess with directly. Perhaps you have a similar barrier to these things. They don't happen directly to you because whatever it is can't be near you. I've been tracking the serial killer for over a decade, almost losing my marriage, my job, and my house. But now, I knew I was close. As I poured over the maps, notes, letters, and photographs pinned to the garage wall, I looked at one, noticing something odd when my wife's voice whispered in my ear. Well, now you... Is a demonic entity stalking my son? By Situation Piston 308. I have a major question. To start, I've been completely open to anything paranormal and have even captured pictures and recordings before. However, nothing ever affected me, nor have I seen anything with my own two eyes before. Okay, to start, I'm a new father. My son was born at the end of June, and we got to bring him home to our apartment in July. We have lived in our current apartment for around six months and haven't experienced any paranormal activity. Until we brought our newborn son home from the hospital. Not long after we brought our son home, the first thing that happened was me and my wife were talking in our bedroom, when out of the corner of my eye, I see a white ball of light leave our closet and shoot straight into the floor and we are on the second story at first i didn't say anything i finished my sentence and then i looked over towards the closet my wife noticed i was looking that way and then she asked if i saw the same thing as she saw and yes we saw the exact same thing since then, not a lot has happened we would find doors and cabinets open or closed when we don't remember leaving in that way. 
Now before I get into why I'm writing this, I want to say that we have two cats that we've had for four years. They are amazing cats that are insanely nice to us and strangers. Yesterday I woke up with the back of my neck stinging really badly. So I stood up and felt it, only to feel three marks on my back of my neck. My son is asleep in his crib, and my wife is awake at the time, sitting next to me reading. Our cats weren't anywhere nearby. My wife sees the scratches, and at first we blow it off, thinking it had to be the cats. However, the more I thought about it, the more that didn't make sense. In four years, my cats have never scratched me. My cats sleep with us here and there, but they never go above our hips on the bed and enjoy sleeping in between me and my wife's legs. Also, why did I just now start to feel it if my cat scratched me beforehand? Now confused, I asked my wife to take a photo of the scratches. When I saw the picture, I ended up with more questions. There were three lines, two running down my neck, then one going alongside my neck at the bottom of the other two lines. It's almost the shape of an L, or maybe a V? I'm posting this curious if anyone has ever heard of any demonic or evil spirit that follow newborn babies home. I'm hoping to hear I'm overthinking things and everything is okay. But I want everyone's honest opinion for what I should do from here. Thanks for listening. And there's also an update. I did a small amount of research, and after reading a few people's suggestions, I went to try and do something about the situation, just in case it was a demonic entity. I didn't have nor knew where to get sage, but I did see that sometimes just the smell of sage can help. So I went and bought some sage-scented incense and began burning that throughout the apartment. If anything, honestly, this made me feel worse. I felt more tired and drained after doing this. In the early 90s, my grandma and grandpa would go and assist a pastor in cleansing and a few exorcisms, so I decided to give my grandma a call and describe everything that had happened. She wasn't positive if it could be, but talked me through a small prayer to say while on the phone. After I got off the phone, I decided to go and take a shower. Mid-shower, all the bulbs and lights in my bathroom went out. That evening, me and my wife laid in bed over in the direction of the son's crib. We heard a young boy's voice clear as day just say, Hey! After the increased level activity, I went over to my grandma's house and talked to them. They'll be coming over the next week or so to do a cleansing. I'll keep everyone posted after that. Thank you for all your advice and support. I really wish I'd paid more attention to my girlfriend, I thought as she started levitating in the air. Maybe then I would have known what our favorite song was. Hmm. My Dead Roommate by Therapy Chick Narrated by P.A. Nightmares We moved into our first home in February of 2016. It was an old home, built in the early 1900s, in the historical part of town. I loved it. 
All of the hand-carved woodwork and glass doorknobs with skeleton keys. It was exactly what I wanted and perfect for myself, 22 female at the time, and my husband, 27 male at the time. I was three months pregnant with our first, and we were so excited to start our family. We got all settled in. We noticed the house was very noisy. I rarely have my home quiet due to having tinnitus and always needing some kind of background noise to drown it out. On the rare occasions the house was quiet, there always was a lot of creaking and mostly moving coming from the loft style attic we had. We shook it off to the house settling and being old. At least that's what my dad told us. So we moved on. Spring came and we were scrambling to get ready for the baby. The house needed a lot of work, but we were determined to get it done. The first major encounter was on a beautiful spring day. It was the weekend, and my husband and I were spending our day off working on the house. I was cleaning the kitchen, and he was working on my car in our detached garage. The way this house was built, you could see the detached garage from the window that's above the kitchen sink. I would glance out every now and then to see what he's up to. A little time passed, and I hadn't looked out at him. I started doing the dishes when I heard him walk in the living room towards the kitchen. I could feel his presence and without turning back I said, hey babe. No answer. Wondering why he didn't answer, I looked back over my shoulder only to be met with a dark silhouette of a man standing between the living room and the kitchen. In the blink of an eye, the figure was gone. Unsure of what I would just seen, I yelled through the window for my husband who was still in the garage. He came in, and frantically I told him someone was in the house. Immediately, he went and grabbed his weapon and checked all over the house. Nothing was there. In all the years we lived in that house, not once did my husband see our roommate. I saw him all the time, out of the corner of my eye, peeking around corners, but more than anything, I saw him looking into the living room from the staircase that led to the attic. In the beginning, he frightened me, but after a while, I got used to him being there. I even spoke to him sometimes, telling him I'm okay if he stays in the attic and asking him to leave my baby alone. He seemed to have agreed since in the five years my son lived there, he never saw him. When we went to sell our home, the realtor brought us some historical information she found regarding the house and our neighborhood. We found out that our house and our neighbor's house was built by a brother and sister. Our home was the brothers. The last name was the same as our current neighbor so I figured he was most likely a descendant. I asked him one day, and he told me that the sister was his mom and his uncle owned our home. He said he was a kind man who lived alone and died in the home many years ago. I asked him about the attic, and he said that was his uncle's favorite place in the house. He kept all of his trinkets and projects up there and would spend hours working on things. I didn't tell him I believed my house was haunted, as he didn't seem like the type who would believe me. Our home was listed and sold within the same day. Sometimes I wonder about the man in the attic, if the new owners are nice to him or have even noticed his presence. I hope they give him a space as they are only passers-by in his home like we once were. As the Grim Reaper entered my home, I fell to my knees and begged him to let me stay. In silence, he slipped past me and opened the door to the nursery. Uh.
I believe I'm experiencing something, and I don't know if I'm going crazy or if I should be worried. By Aggravating Cup 5291, narrated by Papa Scare. Second time trying to type this because the first time didn't say it before I finished. I'm on mobile rushing this, so ignore any grammatical mistakes. Ever since my earlier years in life, I believe I experienced something, twice. And now, after many years of not, I think I am experiencing something again. My first two encounters happened when I was around 13 or 14 in middle school. Not as close to each other, but same year, same house, same room. The way my room was set up was I was sleeping on the top bed of a bunk bed with my older sister in the bottom. The beds were placed against the wall and a window. My very first encounter was at night slash early morning. I remember waking up around 4 or 5 a.m. and was half asleep in a way that I wasn't visually seeing anything, but I was hearing sounds like running water and sounds of birds. Ultimately, something peaceful. I remember just relaxing to the noises when, all of a sudden, I felt two fingers pressing as my neck. Sort of like checking a pulse, but not laying the fingers flat, just poking the area very firmly. I was still half asleep and was very confused because the fingers were coming from the side of the wall and window which was closed with the blinds down. I remember physically grabbing the fingers and feeling them. They felt like they belonged to an adult and I knew they weren't mine or my sister's because I remember specifically feeling nails. They had long nails that felt like acrylics which neither me or my sister had. The only person who did was my mother who was asleep in another room. When I processed that, I remember becoming startled and jumping up. As soon as I forced my eyes open, all the sounds stopped and I was almost out of breath. Nothing was there. My second encounter was later that same year. Same room but different setup. We took the bunk bed apart and placed mine against the wall with the window by my head. It was also at night when I woke up. I don't remember the time but I remember watching YouTube videos and at one point, just laying back and closing my eyes. My mind wanders and I remember thinking, I wish I had more friends. And at that very moment I noticed something hover over me because even with my eyes closed it got darker. I tried moving but it was like I was being held down. I remember just squirming but that was all I could do. My body couldn't move and I couldn't open my eyes. Then. I started hearing a screeching, staticky sound coming from my right ear that was facing the wall. It started quiet but got louder and louder to the point it started to hurt my ears. I remember thrashing and at one point it all stopped and I threw myself up. I was sweaty and out of breath and like before I didn't see anything. These two moments scared me shitless and I haven't experienced anything again up until now currently 17, around 18 but different house, different city and different people. I think I'm experiencing something but a part of me feels like it's just me and my imagination, especially since both of these moments were so much closer together within the same month. The first one was at night. My room is set up to where my bed is set against my wall with my mirror above my bed and my desk across from my bed. I remember listening to music with my LED lights on and I was just pacing. I looked at my mirror 
only to see a black figure behind me. I got scared and turned around, but nothing was behind me, and when I looked back, nothing was in my mirror as well. So, I thought it was just me. But my most recent experience happened a couple of days ago, and now I just need closure and confirmation that there's even a small chance I'm not crazy. I was changing in my room facing my closed closet. I have a window below my bed and had my blinds closed, but was where if someone were to pass by it, a very thin shadow would move across my closet door. This was in the middle of the day too. Again, I was changing and noticed a small shadow moving across my closet door. I was curious and looked at my window and saw someone passing by. And after, I looked away and went back to changing. I then noticed another shadow except it wasn't a thin line or was moving. It was a shadow of full body. It looked like a male, skinny, hair to the neck, and a little over five foot from what I saw. And it was like as if someone was shining a flashlight behind someone. That type of shadow. Which was impossible because of how my blinds are. The real kicker to this? It waved at me. So me being confused because that wasn't me. I looked towards my window to see if something was there. Even though it would be impossible for anyone to make a full body shadow. And shocker. I see no one. Not even someone passing by. I got so confused, I looked back and the shadow was gone. At this point, I'm constantly thinking about it and I feel like I'm going crazy. I'm scared. I'm going to start having more scary experiences. Is there a chance it's just me? Is there a possibility? It might be something else. If there is even a chance, how can I protect myself? Literally, anything can help. I just need advice and clarification. I'm literally trembling writing this with my heart pounding. I frequently stay late in the office so I can catch up on work in peace and quiet, but tonight the night guard knocked on my door and told me to go home immediately. I said I would go and tried to act normal as I packed my bag pretending I didn't know that our office didn't have a night security guard and that I didn't notice the blood on his shoes. I won't drive again at night alone by a normal girly. I know I always say that I'm an overprotected child, and I am, but sometimes I have my freedom but that only lasts a while. Some time ago, me and my family went to a city close to ours to visit family. Everything was fine, we had lots of fun, and I saw my cousins that I hadn't seen for a while. We decided to go camping but returned to my aunt's home some hours after, a little traumatized. That's another story. But more than traumatized, I was intrigued and I wanted to see and explain what happened in the woods. So I begged my mom to let me stay another day. She said that she and my dad had to work the next day. I was on vacation, so I didn't have school. My aunt then interferes and says that I can stay and that she can take care of me. My parents trusted her. 
Bad idea. My aunt was a remarried woman, and the guy she married, it was not much to my family's liking. He had a lot of money, but he is very arrogant and selfish. Once we did a party to celebrate my great granny's 99th birthday at my aunt's house, he got mad and kicked us all out. We didn't even get to sing happy birthday, but luckily he was on a business trip and we were alone. I always feel something off about him. Everything was good. My cousins and I tried to return to the woods to continue investigating, but for some reason we got there feeling like we were not going to make it. So we decided to return and go to the cinema. When we get out, it's almost 10 p.m. I call my parents to tell them that I was still there and wasn't on my way. They said it's okay, but if I was returning home, better do it next day because it was really late. It should be clarified, my mother left me her car so that my cousins could return me since his car broke down in the accident in the forest. My mother left hers just in case. Me, as a very stubborn child, decided to still return that night and don't obey. But first, I needed to say goodbye to my aunt and go for some things I left there. At the time we arrived to the house, I only heard shouting from inside the house. One of my cousins cut my ears, but was in vain. The husband, we'll call him Chobi, was home. When he saw me there, he freaked out. He started yelling at me that I shouldn't be there, I was not family, and etc. I explained to my aunt I was taking my leave. She said the same thing my parents said, and I was about to agree with Chobi interfered and said that I wasn't allowed to stay in his house for the night and that I should return home. I obeyed him, because I fear Chobi. There's something weird in him that... Keeps me out. When me and my cousins were about to go out, Chobi again interfered and said that I'm old enough to be by myself and drive a car. It should be noted that I'm 16 years old and I'm just learning to drive. But since it was night on a not-so-busy road, it could go well. He didn't let my cousin or my aunt come with me. They fear him a lot. He once slapped her. Yeah, Maybe Chobi gives you everything you need and maintains you, but for that you need to obey him. If you don't, bear with the consequences. So I packed my things, put them in the car. It was a short drive, like two hours. If I go, I could arrive at 12 a.m. and surprise my parents, because they still worried for me. So my aunt walked with me to the car and apologized for the third time. I started to drive and everything was fine. I was slow because I'm still learning. But shortly before it had been an hour on the road, it started raining very hard. The truth is I felt happy because my city is in a drought, so a rain was something miraculous. So I slowed a little bit more just to be cautious. But for some reason, I got lost. I didn't know where I was anymore. I called my aunt, but nothing. My cousins, I even called Chobi. I was really stressed because I was alone at night, lost. 
That's how horror movies begin. I calmed down and started to drive again. I found a motel in the middle on the road. It wasn't weird because, well, it was a well-used road some of the times of the year. But it should be open, so I went there. The place looked very run down, but it had a sign saying there were some vacant rooms. I didn't hesitate and went inside, but for some reason I felt really weird. I didn't care at the time. It was late and I was wet and I wanted some sleep. I get inside and there was a receptionist, a woman in her 50s. She looked at me weirder and after a talk she told me she couldn't do anything. I can't have a room because I'm underage. But at the time a guy like in his 20s came. He said that he was the owner. Of course it was a weird situation. He said that I could have a room and gave me a key with a really creepy smile. I take it and smile awkwardly. The receptionist was there with a really worried face. I was on my way to a room when I heard someone crying. I see at a distance a woman, but I felt that she wasn't normal. Like I have said before, I can see dead people, so I know when someone is not here. I ignored her. It's not that I go there and talk with ghosts. So I went to our room, but I couldn't sleep. Something was bothering me. Then I started to hear whispers, but that is normal to be honest. Normally I have my earplugs and I can't hear anything anymore. But I could still hear a voice saying, Get out of here. That's when I decided to listen and went out. Went to the car and stayed there for a moment. Then I saw it. The owner trying to get inside my room with a key. When he entered and saw I wasn't there, he rushed outside and started to scream, heading to my car. I rapidly hid in the lower part. He peeked inside. The fear was killing me, and little by little, the tears began to come out. I had to get out of there as fast as possible. He didn't see me, luckily, I guess. So I called my grandpa. He's a police chief. He said he would do anything possible to save me, but I needed to get away from there. As soon as the owner leaves, I saw the golden opportunity to get in front of my car and drive as fast as I could. But there was a problem. I left the keys in the room. I started to cry more when I heard tapping on the window. It was a receptionist. I thought I was going to die there. I thought it was the end. But then she showed me the keys and left them there. She helped me. She saved me. The owner started to return screaming. I peeked and he was really mad. He then cursed and see the ghost woman in the pool. The man rushes there. I don't know if he was thinking it was me. But my opportunity to get the keys and run away was there or never. I did it. I turn on the car, and as soon as I did, I see the man turning and starting to run towards the car. I rushed and got out of there. Five minutes on the road, and a car was behind me speeding. It was my end, but I don't know, God. My grandpa and dad arrived with a police car. My mama has a tracker on my phone and her car. So they knew where I was. I saw the car passing behind me and returned where it came. I stopped the car and started to cry out loud that was the most terrifying day ever. 
I arrived home and told them everything, and just like before, my grandfather immediately investigated. After some weeks, the guy was arrested, and turned out he was a fugitive. He had essayed women and came to kill too. I suspected that one of them was the crying woman. When I asked him about the receptionist, he told me in there they had only found the guy alive. He asked me how did the woman look, and I gave a description. His face turned pale immediately. He showed me a picture and asked me if that was a woman. I said yes, it was her, but she looked more healthy in the photo, and more happy. Turns out that she was the last victim. He killed her. She was dead. I was going to be essayed, maybe even killed, and I was saved by ghosts or spirits. Sometimes I said that my gift of seeing paranormal things is a curse, but sometimes I feel like it's a blessing. I could have been dead, but I survived thanks to those spirits. Maybe this isn't so paranormal, but like I've said before, you should be afraid of the living, not the dead. I want to end this on a happy note. My stepbrother's wife is pregnant, and she let me choose the baby's name, and it's a girl. I called her Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the name of the victim, the name of the woman that saved me, the name of the woman that I owe my life to. I wish I could help my father in the field instead of just watching him do all the hard work all alone all day. But my friend from the adjoining field says humans don't like when scarecrows move on its own. It wasn't till I was older that I started to realize what was wrong with my parents. In all the years I've known them, they've never blinked. My friend wants to hold a seance, but I'm still a little skeptical. By Zypher Deucer. I tend to be a bit long-winded, so apologies in advance for the long post. I'll start with some details about the property. My parents bought this building in a residential area in a rural town in southern east Louisiana in late 2018. They run a medical billing company, which I currently work for, and were looking for a cheap office space to account for their sudden growth they were experiencing. Despite this being a residential property, the layout is pretty weird. There are windows and glass doors completely lining two exterior walls, and the other two walls are wooden siding. The interior consists of two main rooms. The first room was a large open space, a full kitchen and a large island, and a small 6 foot by 10 foot laundry room, which they converted to include a half bath. The second room is completely open and has two doors that lead to a small closet and a full bath. The two main rooms are separated by an 8 foot wall covered in large glass window panels and the ceiling reaches a max height of about 16 feet, as it is vaulted. 
It's on about two acres of land with woods along the back of the property. I'll also add the building has a metal roof that will often warp when it heats or cools, resulting in a single loud popping sound. Now, my parents aren't exactly skeptics, but they don't go looking for this type of stuff either. One evening, shortly after closing on the property, my father was at the building working on some minor repairs and cleaning up the place. I don't know exactly when this took place as he didn't tell me until much later, but he heard distinct footprints along the wall that separated the two main rooms. Sometime after his experience, his good friend was here alone to do some more work on the interior building and claimed to have heard footsteps on the roof. The friend was so sure what he heard that he grabbed a ladder and went up to make sure no one was up there. Of course, finding nothing. After hearing of this, my dad and one of his buddies from church decided to pray over the building, and he says he hasn't had any experiences like that since. I consider myself to be sensitive to the paranormal. I work here in this building full-time, until recently switching to part-time since going back to school. And I occasionally feel the unease you might associate with a presence being nearby. But I was only really here during the working hours. Quick but relevant detail, I came out as non-binary in September 2020 and chose the first name Zypher. I used Honey as a placeholder mill name before changing it to Deucer, an old family name. Fast forward to the end of 2021, we had a COVID scare in the office, and all but four employees switched to working remotely, leaving my parents, my sister, and I coming into the office. My parents take this opportunity to sell their house and convert one of the rooms into a living-slash-bedroom. Around the same time, my sister purchases a mobile home to put on the front of the property, and I'm renting a room from her. Now living here, I've been experiencing random episodes of paranoia, surges of anxiety, and pretty bad insomnia. I do have a generalized anxiety disorder, but I've been getting pretty good at coping and recognizing triggers. These episodes don't feel the same. They don't feel like my own emotions. I'm a smoker, and I often sit on the steps of the mobile home for a late-night cigarette. More and more often, I sense a presence either approaching me from the right side or sitting by a tree on my left side. Always the same tree. And then on comes the paranoia. One night, I actually took note that I didn't feel any type of presence, paranoia, or anxiety. As I stood to go inside, I had a sort of unconscious thought of, Oh, there she is. Immediately followed by my conscious brain saying, What the fuck? Who is she? There were several other minor experiences I've had. Items going missing and mysteriously returning right where they were left. A protection charm falling from my car's rearview mirror after hanging there securely for two years. But I won't go into any unnecessary detail since this is already running so long. For some reason, my dad brought up yesterday that the previous owner died of cancer here in the house. I found her name in the white pages and looked up her obituary. 
She had a nephew named Zaf and a niece who went by Honey. They had it in quotation marks next to her actual name. At this point, I'm thinking there's just too many coincidences. I shared all this info with my friend who practices witchcraft and has a little more experience working with spirits. And he suggests we hold a seance. He believes she may be stuck between worlds due to unfinished business. The working theory we have is that when my dad prayed for protection of the house, all he did was form a barrier over the threshold, leaving her locked outside. So I don't know if I'm here looking for advice or opinions. I guess I just wanted to share my story. I'm open to see what anyone has to say, if it's just that I sound crazy. People fled in terror as the alien scum ripped apart our once beautiful city, killing tens of thousands in the process. We had watched him defeat countless powerful enemies and always triumph, and could never have expected that something as simple as dementia could have defeated Superman. Weird Experience Inside a Forest by Kimsley V. Narrated by Phoenix Fire. So, today is Sunday, a day I usually go out to hike a route. I hiked many, many times. I don't anymore, but I had to think of it today. This experience is roughly two and a half years old now, and I haven't gone back to my old routine since then. I live in a pretty small royal village in Germany. Less than 200 people live there. Not much around here besides fields, forests, cows, sheep, a donkey, and two horses. Directly outside the house I live in is a road to the right which leads into a field and then into a pretty thick forest. The route I usually take is around 18 kilometers long or 11 miles for the US readers. I simply will stick to miles to keep it simple. It doesn't usually sound like much, but the route is very rough. It's uphill almost the entire time and the forest has no roads, so you actually walk through the rough terrain with thick tree roots and bushes, etc. Anyway, I walk this route one to two times per week and usually when it's already dark outside. I wear a headlamp for when it's too cloudy out and the moon isn't nicely visible so I don't trip or get hurt. Why at evening, night? Because I'm usually on the phone with a good friend talking. We live very far apart. It's day for her and it's night for me. I don't mind because that way I don't feel alone hiking. Info dump, because I deem it important. For people who are not familiar with German forests, the most dangerous thing you may encounter is a wild boar, or it's usually pretty safe to just wander around. Almost no wolves where I am, and even if, they would be too shy to just show themselves. Bears are not a thing here. Also, no crazy people living inside the forest. The only thing you encounter is the farmer who drives up like one to two miles into the road to check on his livestock. After that, it's all forests. No fields. Anymore, anyway. Now, to the weird thing I experienced. Headlamp on, 
AirPods in, talking to my friend, catching up. For the first five miles or so, nothing weird happened. I even had the headlamp turned off, though I wore it on my head. The moon was making enough light and once your eyes adjust to the dark, you can see quite well, as long as you don't sprint around the forest. Though once I was in the deeper part of the forest, my AirPods started making weird noises, almost like I was losing connection. But I could hear her voice still. It was more like a background buzzing. It wasn't actually interfering with my call. This buzzing went on and after 20 minutes or so, I noticed that I couldn't see as well anymore as I could. The moon was blocked by clouds and these clouds didn't look like normal clouds. They look like thick walls of fall, just way higher than fog should be. I know it's hard to picture, but clouds usually look fluffy or thinned out. These seemed heavy and... What? Uh, it's hard to describe. I told my friend to hold on for a minute because I had to focus on something. I don't know why I said that, but focusing on her was disrupting my view of whatever reason. Ha <laughs> ha. Sensory overload, I guess. The thing I had to focus on was a huge, thick, deep black cloud. It kind of pushed itself through the fog like clouds and positioned itself right over me. Almost as if it was trying to throw a shadow around an area I was in. The cloud also started to swirl in the middle slightly and that was when my connection just fell flat. I got the beeping sounds you get when you lose connection and gone was my phone call. No more bars, no mobile data, nothing. But my AirPods were still buzzing like crazy in my ears. That's when I felt uneasy. Neck hair standing up, cold sweats on my back and I started turning around to leave because the way ahead just seemed a lot more dark and sinister than my way back. The moment I turned around and started, well, slightly jogging back because I felt scared, was when I started to hear bell sounds. Almost like church bells, but the sound was deeper. That typical ring you hear after a bell sound was just stuck in the air, and it was giving me this weird sensation, as if my bones were suddenly rubbing against each other. It was extremely freaky. All I remember is that I started to go from walking, back to jogging, back to running, back trying to leave the forest and go back to the fields where you start. I didn't look back while running, but I could hear the bell sound getting weaker and further away, and the fog-like clouds were becoming less and less until I finally left the forest and I was back to a normal sky, thin clouds and the moon. Once I got back home, I simply undressed went into the shower and went to bed, thinking I just simply got spooked today or maybe I was exhausted and my brain went haywire. I don't know, but I never saw a cloud like that in my life, and church bells are not a thing late at night inside a forest. Never went back to hike that route. Never told anyone, because I'm a bit embarrassed. But I had to think of it today. The kidnapper held a knife to my youngest child's throat and said, Which one should I kill quickly, and which one slowly? 
Ten years later, my children still look at me like I'm a monster. Experiences While Working on a Native American Reservation by Cab1218 Hello all. I made a post earlier about how my family and I feel my parents' house is haunted. I've had other experiences outside of that. I will start with the most recent events. I have been working on two Native American reservations for a year and a half now. On the current reservation, I have not had any memorable experiences with spirits or the paranormal. But last year, I had multiple at the other. The first started when I was sleeping in the basement of a house I was in, due to having not enough rooms. I was laying on the bed trying to sleep but was unable to to too much light coming in. I was night shift. As I lay there, I heard a cardboard box with some of my belongings in it dragged across the floor. I turned and looked at the direction the sound came from and didn't see anything. I got up and walked into the room. Nothing looked out of place. But I couldn't remember if that's where I left it. So I went back to bed and when I lay down, I heard footsteps above me. But I knew that no one else was home. I just ignored it and eventually fell asleep. Later I found out other people heard footsteps in that house, and another person saw a shadow person later in the basement. When I came back a month later, I was in a different home. After about two weeks, I was laying in bed on my phone when I heard a very loud knock, knock, knock on my bedside table right behind me. I turned to look, but saw nothing. A friend attempted to replicate on the window and door, and nothing sounded the same other than that table. Less than a week from then, I rolled from one side of the bed to the other, and as I rolled, I saw an approximately three-foot-tall, all-in-black shadow run across the foot of the bed. I asked the locals if they knew anything like that and was told about the Wheelawala. I'm unsure of the spelling, but there are little people that play pranks. Never had another experience in that home after seeing it. Where I was working, there were many stories of different spirits in different areas of the facility. Late at night, walking around, I always felt like I was being watched. One night, I was sitting in my chair when the corner of my eye, I see a tall, opaque shadow walk into the room and disappear into the shadow of a door. I let it go as the other person in the room didn't say anything but then they had to leave, making me the only person in the room. As I look up, I see movement on the blinds, similar to a faint shadow of a tallish man sitting down, wearing a hat. I freaked out and left until she came back. I asked other employees, and they said that corner used to have their table and chair, and that they have seen the man come in many times and sit there. I will make more posts later if you're all still interested. I apologize if I do not tell these well. A 
About 10,000 years ago, an intelligent species lived on Earth who became extinct after a great war. We're yet to completely decipher their language, but we know they called themselves humans. My Paranormal Experiences as a Child by Kami Child Narrated by Phoenix Fire I never really brought this up to many people. I only ever told some of my friends and my cousin. When I was five, I experienced constant nightmares and strange activities from the deaths of my babysitter and grandpa. My parents had my baby sister, who sadly passed away three days after birth due to birth malfunctions. I only have three memories of that time. Me playing in the child area with my grandma, me receiving some dinosaur books to keep me company, and seeing her for the first time before she was taking off life support. I had no other memories of her. Shortly after she died, my grandpa died as well. I actually spent quite some time with him, but oddly enough, don't have that many memories of him. Shortly after both of their deaths, I started to have constant nightmares and what seemed to be sleep paralysis. I would wake up frozen in my bed. Voices would go off in my head and my bed would start rapidly spinning. The most vivid memory of this would be the strong pain I would feel in my back that seemed like someone was stabbing me. These dreams would progressively get worse and the pain I'd feel in my back would become more painful. The voices I'd hear became louder and eventually I'd start to see figures in my room. Strangely enough, I only had one paranormal experience while living in my apartment I was having these dreams in. It was the middle of the night and my mom was in the kitchen cooking. The way the apartment was laid out had the kitchen next to the long hallway where the bedrooms were located. I was sitting at the end of the hallway, which was right next to where my mom would have been cooking. I was playing with my stuffed dinosaurs and decided to throw one at the end of the hallway. A strange feeling overcame me and I could do nothing but sit there in silence and stare at the toy I threw. I can vividly remember the toy sit up and start moving toward me. I wasn't scared, but knew something wasn't right either. I tried to call out to my mom but couldn't yell as if like I was out of breath. As the toy neared me, it fell over and I could feel myself escape the trance I was in. At that point, I felt nothing. I was still not scared and didn't tell my mom about what had happened. This was the only paranormal thing that happened to me at this apartment other than my reoccurring life-like nightmares. About a year into this happening to me, we moved to a duplex further into the city we lived in. There was a small break of the nightmares I had, but they reappeared shortly after. Unlike the ones I had at the previous apartment, these were much more violent and lifelike. The nightmares would usually consist of an order like this. I'd wake up frozen hearing voices and sweating. I would move my eyes around until I noticed a black figure standing in my room. There would be silence until my blanket would be slowly pulled off of me. A feeling of nausea and dizziness would hit me and then I could finally sit up and it would stop. This went on for a year with the same pattern. 
The worst one I had has always stuck with me. Again, the pattern repeated again, but it didn't stop once I set up. This time, when I did set up, the voices I heard almost sounded like yelling in my head. I became very hot and extremely dizzy and nauseous. When I was on the same floor as my parents, I did not feel an urge to wake them, but rather run downstairs to the bathroom where I sat over the toilet as if I was going to vomit. My vision felt static somewhat and the stabbing feeling in my back was extremely painful. The feeling of static I got was very odd. My vision would seem to get darker, but I could see static if that makes any sense. Imagine your vision seeing those floaties we sometimes see, but they're everywhere you look and they move around like TV static. That's what I would see. This went on for what felt like an eternity. During this, I could not speak. I felt like someone took my breath and voice and felt helpless. Thankfully, I ended the night falling asleep on the couch after mostly likely passing out. I was in the fifth grade by then and surprisingly never experienced any activities like that again in my life. I would have nightmares every now and then, but they were never as scary as the ones I had previously. I never had a paranormal experience either. I recently brought this up to my cousin and he told me he felt odd about both the old apartment and duplex I lived in at the time. He said he always felt like there was a bad presence in those houses, which was why he never spent the night. Has anyone else had this feeling as well? I remember it so vividly but can never understand why it happened or why it stopped so abruptly. Yesterday I read about how playing mobile games after trauma can reduce the chances of PTSD and depression. Today I'm behind a desk, beating my high score again and again as gunshots echo in the hallway. It's been on my mind for a long time. I'll share what I experienced. Bye, Photo Flowery. Hi, before I share my paranormal encounters, I will gently share my family's experiences with the paranormal activity and unexplained things. My mother always had a premonition capabilities and saw things like the Notre Dame being burnt two years before it happened. She also predicted and told me to prepare for something that will make people feel sick in the same vision. I can predict the future, not about myself or predict traumatic events like my mom does on a massive scale. I could predict, analyze, and tell my friends if the dude they wanted to ask out was a bad person or a good match for them, predicting their behavior and allowing them to change what was about to happen. Even though I made them aware of it, they were never able to change fate. They always broke up exactly like I predicted, and my friends hated me and rejected me for it. I was able to see their inner self and see if they were damaged or sincere with themselves. My mother had a lot of EMI and 
Also found out later in her life, her children are just as normals. She was stellar because of a tumor growing in her ovaries since she was a teen that never got cured or diagnosed as it is. While growing up, I didn't really get affected by ghosts. The only one I remember perfectly was seeing a falling star blow up on the horizon, making me scream and call for my mother about it. When she came, nothing happened, even though the horizon was flaming and stuff. I was about four or five years old. I studied in healthcare and assistance for aging people. While I was an intern, they asked me to go and bring the elderly into the living room for lunch. I did it. One of the rooms was open with a bright light emitting from it. I asked her if she'd be able to go out by herself, and she told me, I will wear my greatest robe, worry not, go on and bring the others. After doing this and passing by her door, the door was locked up. In a panic, I ran and asked the guys working there where she was, describing that elderly female. After looking at each other in confusion, they told me she passed away a week before I even came there. This is but one of my stories. And do you want another one? Okay. It was late one summer night, and I was playing Xenoverse on PlayStation 3. I was about 17 at the time. Bored, repeating the same task over and over again. Something scary brought me out of this repetition. I heard, at around 3 a.m., the voice of a girl crying right on my left side. I stopped everything and turned a light on for the room. Nothing. Then I saw a ghost figure running extremely fast in my room, just once, and I never heard or saw anything similar again. You want another one? Well, here's another story. Still in the middle of the night the same year around Christmas, I was trying to sleep when I heard my mother calling for me in the middle of the night. I was scared at first. It was loud AF. I stayed in my bed for about five minutes, petrified. Then I investigated. Nothing. My mother? Sleeping and snoring. Scary, huh? The worst experience I had is also quite hard to explain. I was trying to sleep on my right side facing a wall when something just smashed my head out of nowhere. I searched around to see what had fallen on me. Nothing. I saw a ton of UFOs with my nephew. Felt like my brain got hijacked. I asked if he wanted to see something amazing tonight. The night was August 24th, 2014. He accepted. And we stayed watching out my window for a good hour up until when he was bored and wanted to sleep. And they came. A good hundred of stars, glowing spherical objects flying in a military formation without making a single sound. 
I was enthusiastic and out of control. I stayed at my window and kept watching the spectacle. My nephew, though, was scared to death, going as far as hiding under the bed and begging me to make them go away. One of them came closer to my house and just moved at a point of view. It seemed to us that they fled. But something looking like a black egg scanned the house. There was red lights on our walls. Let's just say my nephew was just crying and thought we were about to die. We stayed up for the rest of the night until we fell asleep early in the morning. Last time I heard anything from him, one of those golden spears was flying above his house. His mom called mine in a total panic, and the call dropped. For months, we didn't have any news about them, and when they came back, they were totally different people mentally. I kept these stories to myself for a long time. Only my mother knew about it, and she believes me. I don't know what happened to my nephew. I feel terrible for him. Something happened that night. This wasn't our imagination. I was 15 and he was 14. I do have some other stories to share, but they are irrelevant compared to these. I wonder if any of you have ever had anything similar happen. Not being able to speak about it to anyone without being mocked or taken for a fool is harder to endure than I appreciate. I had pictures of these flying objects, but lost them with my phone. I remember showing people these things, making snake-like forms in them, and got mocked. They said that I had photoshopped it, even though I didn't edit them. These were raw pictures taken with this phone. I regret a ton for not saving them on a hard drive or something. All I can do is draw what I saw or edit photos to show what I experienced that night. And it bothers me. This scares me, haunts me even. What were those things? What happened to my nephew? Why us in particular? Why so young? I will never forgive myself for letting those pictures disappear. They had a lot of meaning to me. And you? What are your experiences? Working in a morgue, you're sure to see some strange stuff, like birth defects, an amputated limb, but this was different. The blood inside of the body was blue. The Witches Three laid three curses on me. The first was that every time I hear a bell ring, someone I love will die. <laughs> I'm deaf, I gloated until the second witch's curse allowed me to hear again. And the third cursed me to work in a high school for the rest of my life. I saw the ghost of a missing child by Anonymous, narrated by Phoenix Fire. The story involves an ongoing missing persons case. 
with a fair amount of media attention, so I'm going to use as little detail as possible out of respect for the family. I won't use genders, ages, locations, etc. A little while ago, I got really into the supernatural and wanted to learn how I could see ghosts. I learned about a technique where you can get into a meditative state and soften your gaze so that you can see the energy around you. I was completely shocked when I learned about this technique because I realized that I'd done it all the time as a kid so that I could see my friends that lived in my house. So, this knowledge made me recognize that I'd had the ability to see ghosts as a child and therefore just needed to connect to that ability again. I decided to try it one night, and after a while, a child suddenly appeared to me in my doorway. The image of this child was so effing vivid that it was crazy, and they were crying so I automatically began trying to soothe them. I asked them what was wrong, and they said, Please, you have to help my mom. It wasn't her fault. She didn't do it. Please, you have to help her. I told the child to come to me, and they kept repeating the same messages as they got closer. I asked them what their name and age was, and they told me. They kept crying, so I held their hand as they pleaded with me to help their mother, and then they disappeared. At first, I thought that maybe I had been hallucinating, but my hand that had held theirs was still icy cold, and it was an extremely hot night. So, I messaged a friend about the experience, and we both started to Google the name of the child. It turned out that they and another sibling had disappeared a few months earlier, and that their mother was being charged with their murder, despite no bodies being found. The image of the child that we found online was identical to the one I'd seen. I had never heard about this case before, and it had occurred in a different country. So I'm still extremely confused as to why the child appeared to me. I've spent a lot of time over the past few years contemplating how I can help this child in the way that they asked me to, and I've watched basically every documentary that has been made about the case. I just don't know what to do because I feel like I'm obligated to help the mother. But there's nothing I can actually do that would be of any benefit. Last year, I contacted a relative of the mother, who is the only person that believes she's innocent, and I told them about my story. They said that a professional psychic had also reached out to them with exactly the same information. I guess that's the end of my story. So far... But I just wish that I knew what to do. This is the only time that I've experienced anything like this, and I feel like it's my responsibility to help the mother, but I don't know if there's any way that I can do that. My crazy mother told us the best movies were those that were the most realistic. After the movie title came on screen, How I Killed My Children, the screen transitioned to a live feed of me and my sister on the couch, and our mother standing behind us with a kitchen knife. 
My Paranormal Experiences as a Child by Kami Child I never really brought this up to many people. I've only ever told some of my friends and my cousin. When I was five, I experienced constant nightmares and strange activities after the death of my baby sister and grandpa. My parents had my baby sister, who sadly passed away three days after birth due to birth malfunctions. I only had three memories of that time. Me playing in the child area with my grandma, me receiving some dinosaur books to keep me company, and seeing her for the last time before she was taken off life support. I have no other memories of her. Shortly after she died, my grandpa died as well. I actually spent quite some time with him, but oddly enough, don't have that many memories of him. Shortly after both of their deaths, I started to have constant nightmares of what seemed to be sleep paralysis. I would wake up frozen in my bed, voices would go off in my head, and my bed would start rapidly spinning. The most vivid memory of this would be the strong pain I would feel in my back that seemed like someone was stabbing me. These dreams would progressively get worse and the pain I feel in my back would become more painful. The voices I heard became louder and eventually I start to see a figure in my room. Strangely enough, I only had one paranormal experience while living in the apartment I was having these dreams in. It was the middle of the night and my mom was in the kitchen cooking. The way the apartment was laid out was the kitchen was next to a long hallway where the bedrooms were located. I was sitting at the end of the hallway, which was right next to where my mom would have been cooking. I was playing with my stuffed dinosaurs and decided to throw one at the end of the hallway. A strange feeling overcame me, and I could do nothing but sit there in silence and stare at the toy I threw. I can vividly remember the toy sitting up and starting moving towards me. I wasn't scared, but I knew something wasn't right either. I tried to call out to my mom, but couldn't yell as it felt like I was out of breath. As the toy neared me, it fell over and I could feel myself escape the trance I was in. At that point, I felt nothing. I was still not scared and I didn't tell my mom about what happened. This was the only paranormal thing that happened to me in this apartment other than my reoccurring lifelike nightmares. About a year into this happening to me, we moved to a duplex further into the city we lived in. There was a small break on the nightmares I had, but they reappeared shortly after. Unlike the ones I had in the previous apartment, these were much more violent and lifelike. The nightmares were usually consist of an order like this. I wake up frozen hearing voices and sweating. I would move my eyes around until I noticed a black figure standing in my room. There would be silence until my blankets would be slowly pulled off me. A feel of nausea and dizziness would hit me and then I could finally sit up and it would stop. This went on for years with the same pattern. The worst one I had has always stuck with me. Again, the pattern would repeat again, but it didn't stop once I sat up. This time, when I did sit up, the voices I heard almost sounded like yelling in my head. 
I became very hot and extremely dizzy and nauseous. While I was on the same floor as my parents, I did not feel an urge to wake them up, but rather run downstairs to the bathroom while I sat over the toilet as if I was going to vomit. My vision felt static somewhat, and the stabbing feeling in my back was extremely painful. The feeling of static I got was very odd. My vision would seem to get darker, but I could see static if that makes sense. Imagine your vision seeing those floaters we sometimes see, but they're everywhere you look and they move around like TV static. That's what I would see. This went on for what felt like an eternity. During this, I could not speak. I felt like someone took my breath and voice and I felt helpless. Thankfully, I ended up that night falling asleep on the couch after most likely passing out. The nightmares didn't stop until we eventually moved out again to a house in the woods we rented for a couple of years. I was in fifth grade by then and surprisingly never experienced any activity like that again in my life. I would have nightmares every now and then, but they were never as scary as the ones I had previously. I never had any paranormal experiences either. I recently brought this up to my cousin, and he told me he felt odd about both the old apartment and duplex I lived in at the time. He said he always felt like there was a bad presence in those houses, which is why he never spent the night. Has anyone else had the feeling as well? I remember it so vividly, but I can never understand why it happened or why it stopped so abruptly. You're doing it wrong. They should point downwards and have circles around them, my mom explained as she helped me learn how to draw stars. I think she's possessed! She cried hysterically to my father later, begging him to abandon me in the woods. After years of sitting on this experience, I just want to know a simple why. By Dan Brown Wrote It. Narrated by Interscare Wifey. Hi all. There recently was a thread about what made you believe in ghosts. I will start with the same context many probably have said before. But I was an extremely skeptical individual. I believe that the majority of events that occur can be explained by logical explanations. That was until both myself and my wife had our experiences with several unexplainable events. I want to context that these events have changed both my wife and myself's views on many things including the paranormal. Events took place around six years ago. Wife and I were staying at my father's house after he passed away. Everyone in the family spoke about the house being haunted as long as I can remember. Personally, never had anything weird happen prior to this, and overall just chalked it up to that side of the family being overzealous storytellers. We were at the house for around a week to clean it out, as it was around six hours away from where we lived. There were several weird events leading to the final event that changed myself and my wife forever. 
To give a better context, the house itself was a postage stamp style Victorian house with two floors and a semi-finished apartment style attic. First event. I was going up into the attic to work on cleaning out some of my stuff that my father had up there. He was an avid collector of NASCAR diecast and other collectibles and things were everywhere. On my way up the steps, I was on the phone with my wife who had went to get food when I saw the handle on the attic door twist and the door slightly open. This area we were in was not necessarily dangerous, but it was far from nice. I instantly thought someone had broken in and immediately ran up to investigate. I searched everywhere and could not find anyone. In retrospect, it was idiotic to go up there alone, as if someone was up there. I was not prepared to handle it. Grief makes emotions just dull, including fear. Second event. Wife, myself, and a childhood friend were in the same attic cleaning out items. In the attic, there was a thick old shag carpet that had been up there since the 70s. Since it was a semi-finished attic, one room was for storage and was where my buddy was working. I look at my wife, who was literally just pointing at the door. We both watched the door for that room close slowly on my buddy. There was zero reasoning or explanation, as we both saw it, and the door itself took a large amount of force to actually close. Obviously, my buddy was pretty unhappy, and we both just said, sorry, forgot you were in there, to avoid him thinking both of us were losing our minds or scaring him. Last event. The last night we ever stayed there, we slept on the second floor in the master bedroom. The bedroom itself was positioned so the headrest of the bed's wall was aligned with the set of stairs coming up. The wall and stairs were about 3 to 15 feet difference in height, depending on the location, an important piece to what ended up happening. Throughout the night, my wife kept waking me up to say someone was walking around the platform landing outside. I look and did see what looked like a shadow under the doorframe, so I immediately opened the door and braced for what I assumed was an intruder. Again, nothing was there, even after searching the house extensively. Later that night, I'm awoken to sounds of scratching in the wall behind my head. My wife is awake already and looking at me oddly terrified as she hears it too. I assume it's a rat or some type of animal. While weird, it was directly behind me would not be far-fetched as a possibility, since the house did have critters in it. In a tired rage, I turn around and just punch the wall to scare it off. Within a second, something punches back on the wall with such force that it shakes the entire thing. We both then hear footsteps stomping and running away from us and up the attic stairs. At this moment, we are both at a loss for words and immediately pack up with our son and leave. We call the police and just assume it has to be somebody who broke in until the next day when we started to think about it. The area where the scratching was occurred was above the steps, a good 10 feet, and even an extremely tall man would have trouble reaching with the ladder. However, even if they could reach, what we couldn't explain is how this thing ran on a floor that literally did not exist. The sound of running was not going up the steps, but as if there was a hallway floor directly behind the wall which there was not. The police found no signs of a break-in or of any intruder being there. The security camera ring outside never had any alerts or saw anyone coming in. We ended up selling the house as is with everything in it 
and never stayed over there again. I came down briefly a few weeks later to finish up some final business and just went to tell my father goodbye at the house. Upon entering, the house just felt so hateful. I don't understand how a house could have feelings, but if someone was to ask me what I felt, hateful is the word I would use. I have no idea to this date what any of it means. To clarify, had I not been in such a state of grief, I would have never investigated nor stayed after the first event. My dad always brushed off other family members' claims to it being haunted as no big deal, and even in my childhood years visiting, I never once had an odd experience. My dad and I had a good relationship throughout his life, and he never talked about the house in a negative light. The house was built in 1879 by a French family, and after them, my family owned it from 1952 and on. Nothing traumatic ever happened there, nor any weird family events. It was just a plain old boring house prior to that week. How has everyone else coped with the truly unexplainable event? My wife and I still to this day cannot even talk about it without getting chills or feeling literally insane. My mom told me, if you get lost, look for an adult with a kid and ask them for help. While approaching a man with a little girl, I wasn't aware she didn't get the same advice. I wonder if it was always there or if my mother created it. By Le Violent Famille. November 13th, 2011 is when my mom went crazy. My parents were married for 21 years. My mom has always had her demons, but for a long time, she at least tried. Sometime in 2006 or 2007, after I went to college, she went off her meds for depression for the 45,992th time. This time was different. I didn't realize what mania looked like at the time. I was only 18. But years later, I realized she had an adult onset of bipolar disorder. It was unnerving. It was the last straw for my dad, and he left. The divorce was finalized in 2008. My mom was never the same. The combination of borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder, both diagnosed, meant watching her go up and down on a haunted roller coaster of destruction meant watching the small part of her that was a mother fade away. My dad left her the house, the one we had lived in all my life. It was a beautiful home, cozy on the corner. There was a big bay window and natural light. It always felt like home until the divorce. I hated being in the house after my dad left. Her behavior became more erratic and the lows became so much lower and the house began to change. It was dark and stale and you couldn't wait to leave. I've always chalked it up to my perception as a young adult weathering a divorce and my mom's downward spiral. But now... I don't know. It got worse and worse over time. 
and then I got the phone call on November 13, 2011. I was living in another city. The call was from my father, telling me a neighbor noticed he hadn't seen my dog in the bay window for several days, and decided to use the spare key my mom had given him. The dog was found dead in the bathroom, and my mother in bed, weak and frail. She had laid in the bed for so long her leg muscles had atrophied. The dog, I've never been able to get an answer on, but my sister once let it slip that there was blood. The cleaners my aunt hired to clean the house found my cat three days into the job, crushed to death between the ottoman and chair in the back room. She spent the next few years in a catatonic state, first in the mental hospital, and then she was transferred to a nursing home. In the meantime, I was the one to clean up the house. She was a schizophrenic hoarder, and mental illness had only amplified it. The first time I came back home, it felt dark and stale, but it was empty. It didn't have that panicked pressure that I had felt when my mother was there. I sorted and cleaned, sorted and cleaned, sorted and cleaned. The more I did this, the lighter and brighter it became until it felt like home again. Not really, but kind of. There was always a bit of staleness there, but I attributed, and perhaps still do, to my subconscious awareness of what had happened there. The one thing I noticed about the house was the lightness could become dark in the blink of an eye, and everything was gradual, if that makes sense. You never notice things until you were consumed by the stale darkness. It was like a cloak coming over the place in one steady swoop. It was odd, but how can you explain it? I had a boyfriend. Our relationship wasn't exactly healthy to begin with, but I will say that he knows the same things I did with the house. There were three specific incidents with that house. First incident. One day, it was me, him, and one of his friends sitting in the middle of the room when we heard the distinct sound of the front door opening. They went to go check, and it was closed, with no signs of being opened. The thing about the door is that it was as old as the rest of the house. The door had become difficult to open and close. In order to open it, you had to put your shoulder into it. But in order to close it, you had to thrust your body weight against it several times before it would shut. We heard it open, but we never heard it shut. That was impossible. Three people heard the exact same thing. The second incident. My ex and I were sitting in the middle of the room once again. We were in our office chairs at our desk talking about something when we distinctly heard several cracks overhead and suddenly smashed directly, and I mean directly, over my head in the attic. It was as if someone took several steps until they were overhead and had either a plate or a glass bong, that very specific glass-shattering sound, and threw it with great force, 
The sound was so incredibly clear. My ex and I locked eyes with each other and he whispered, There's somebody in the attic. I was gone. I bolted out to the garage and backed my car out and parked it in the driveway. My ex came out to meet me and convinced me to stay where I was in the car as he called his best friend, the same one who heard the front door open slash not open, and asked him to come with his gun so they could search the attic. His best friend arrived in less than two minutes with his weapon. They both went inside the house and searched the place from top to bottom as I sat in the driveway. The way this house was set up was it was on a corner lot. The side gate faced the street and there was a bay window that wrapped around the house and stretched almost to the front door. We still had the blinds pulled up. This meant that from my vantage point, I could see inside half of the house, and if anyone exited through the only two exits in the house, the front door and the side gate, I could even see the back fence from where I was, and I would see them. I could even see the roof. It was not a large home. I'd be able to see if anyone was making an escape. As I waited for the boys to return, I half expected to see a homeless man scrambling out of the house. It was the only thing that could explain the sound of something being thrown right above my head. The boys completed the search of the home. Nothing, and no one was to be found. I asked if they checked the attic. Thoroughly, they said. I believed them. The thing about the attic of that house is that it wasn't a true attic. The rafters were set up in such a way that a person could not walk around freely up there. If they did, they would fall through the ceiling. There was a light switch up there and the boys had examined every square inch of the attic. There was no sign of life to be found. No glass, nothing. It would be easy to write off as a strange sound the old house had made if it wasn't for one thing my boyfriend was insisting on. The footsteps he had heard leaning up to the crash. He was adamant. He had heard the footsteps above him as they walked to the spot right above me. He had heard the wood slightly creak as if someone had lifted its arms up to throw something with force. I wear hearing aids, so I missed out on a lot of the sounds. But I had heard the creaking before the smash, and I knew by then when my boyfriend was being sincere. I believed him even to this day as to hearing those footsteps. The third incident. We were in the house for two or three years. I split my time between there and down south for college. My boyfriend stayed behind in the house. He would mention that there were times he just knew he wasn't alone, but no other specific incidents took place. The house began to get darker. Our fights grew worse and more violent. Something happened to my mind. It all happened gradually until it was horrible, a point of no return. To this day, the depression I felt there is like nothing I have ever experienced before. It changed me. 
After one particular savage fight, I went for a drive and came back. I was alone. He was not there. I entered through the back door and was greeted by a wall of darkness. It was stale, cold, dark. Even though all of the lights were on, you could barely breathe. I snapped. I yelled at the darkness in the kitchen for no particular reason. Get the fuck out. Go away. I see you. Go. I'm sick of you. It retreated. I swear to you on my son, I visibly saw the darkness shift backwards. I screamed at it some more, and it retreated some more. There was light again. The house was light and beautiful again. My memory stops there, in the kitchen screaming at the darkness. Then I wake up in my bed, fully clothed on top of the sheets. The house is dark again. The staleness is there again. But when I walk into the kitchen, it is light and bright. Oddly enough, that was the first time I considered the possibility that there might be something more to the house. That there might be something otherworldly there. But what? Not too long after that incident in the kitchen, I left the house and it was put up for sale. I have been through many tough and trying times since then, but I have never ever experienced the darkness, the sluggishness, the staleness, the pressure, the panic, the hopelessness, the bleakness, and the agony of that home since then. My gut tells me there's something there. My rationalism is willing to concede that it could all be subconsciously rooted in the pain associated with the home's history. But I feel that there truly is or was something dark and dangerous within the home. And I only wonder if it was there when my mother moved in with my father, or if she created it with her downward spiral. I had a reoccurring dream while in that house. I would walk into the middle of the room and see something that resembled a cross between the creature from Alien and Predator. And it would lock eyes with me, and I would hear in my mind, Widow Sullivan, and the dream would end. There is no one in my family with the name Sullivan. I'm, I'm unsure if it's connected. Perhaps not. But I never had that dream again after leaving that home. I've never been able to really explain what might be in there. It didn't seem to fit typical ghost tales. I'm not sure why I wonder if my mom created it. It's just something that popped in my head every time I think about that house. I'm open to any thoughts. The tinfoil had to stop aliens from reading my mind. I explained to the other people in the elevator when they gave me weird looks. The weird looks turned to an eerie, knowing smile as they all said in unison, It, it doesn't, doesn't work. work. My terrifying experience with a djinn slash demon. 
by Anonymous. I thought about it, and I think it's time to tell my story. This is a true story that happened to me. I'm not here to prove to the skeptics, just to tell my story. Those who have experienced anything similar will know that this is possible. Before this encounter, I didn't have any experiences with djinn, and I had no idea what they were capable of. I'm going to tell my story now, but it will be long. It all started when I was 13 to 14. I'm 21 now. I used to watch ghost shows for fun as entertainment, but I never believed what I saw could happen to me. I believed it was possible, but I had my doubts. One night, I did something dumb. I was so curious about the existence of jinns that I sat in prayer one night, and after I finished my prayer, I called out to Allah and asked Allah, God, if jinns are real, let me have an experience of my own. I said something along those lines either way. I was asking Allah to prove their existence to me. I don't know why on earth I asked for that. I know it was dumb, but I was curious, and this is where it all started. Once I said that Allah answered my prayer, and something came through. So one night after I made that prayer, I was getting ready to sleep. I wasn't in bed yet, just sorting out a couple of things in my bedroom. I heard a woman say to me, Go to sleep, sweetheart, in a soft, soothing voice in an accent I had never heard before. And this was clear as day, as if she was behind me. In that moment, I hadn't experienced anything like that before, so I just thought it was because I was tired. I fell asleep and woke up the next morning getting ready for school. I was happy, I was putting on my clothes, and when something came up to my ear, my left ear, and started speaking in a deep, guttural voice that no human man or woman could ever make. It was speaking in a language I had never heard in my entire life. In that moment, I didn't understand what was happening. I was frozen in fear. It terrified me. All I know is that as soon as it was done, I went frantically to my mother, and everyone was asking me what was wrong. After that incident, I started to feel something watching me. I felt it more than I was alone. It was uncomfortable to be in a room alone. I always had this creepy, scary feeling at certain times of night. It was almost like it was the perfect opportunity for this thing to attack me. One night, it was one of those uncomfortable nights, so I lay in my bed listening to the Quran with earphones when this thing came up to my ear again, blocking the sounds of the Quran playing in my ears, almost as if it was completely muffled out my earphones. Then it began to speak in this deep, low, guttural voice in a language I can't understand. It freaked me out. I was shaking and scared. One thing about me was I stayed on my prayers and I read and listened to the Quran constantly. But if I ever missed my prayer, this thing would come for me. 
It was almost like it was an opportunity for it to come after me. It hated prayers. One time when I stood up to prayer on my own, I said Allah Akbar loudly and this thing screamed no in a high-pitched voice. This djinn would also constantly growl during the night at the bottom of the stairs like an animal. I'm going to tell you the last three experiences I had with this djinn. One night, I went to my cousin's house, and this house was mainly full of female family members. The only male was a boy who wasn't older than the age of seven. One night, I wake up, and everyone else is still fast asleep. I could hear snores. I got up and went to the toilet. I did my business and came out. Bear in mind, in Islam, you're supposed to say a dua, a prayer of protection, before entering the toilet. Because there are evil jinn that love living in the toilet. I didn't do this. When I came out, I heard this jinn laugh at me with its unnaturally deep voice and say, Anonymous, I can see you. Almost like it was singing, you know, in horror movies when kids sing in a creepy way. Yes, like that, but imagine a deep, dark, demonic voice. I went back to the room, terrified, thinking about what just happened. The only thing that comforted me was that I wasn't sleeping alone in that room. Shortly after this experience, I went down to the kitchen late at night to get some water. I had the same feeling again, that something was watching me, but I ignored it. It was common at this point. Just before I got to the stairs, I looked at the corridor leading to the living room. The light in the kitchen was still on, which gave me some illumination. Bear in mind, the living room door was wide open so I could see into it. When I looked in, I saw a tall, dark figure, darker than the room, walking through the living room. It reached the ceiling. That's how tall it was. He had a dark top hat on, and I couldn't see any features on its face. It had what looked like a long, dark jacket that reached above its feet. It walked through the living room, but the direction it was walking towards was just a wall anyways. I didn't want to find out where it went. I went up the stairs to my room. One of the final experiences I had was... Well, I was asleep one night. I woke up to a hand touching my feet. I felt fingers wrapping around my ankles like I felt each individual finger slowly wrapping around my ankles. Everyone else was asleep. And when I looked, no one was there. Eventually, it all stopped the same way. I asked Allah to show me. Allah removed this thing. And this was a couple of months to a year, but when it stopped, this gin never came back. Update. Some of you guys are weird as hell. This happened to me when I was 13 to 14. If you read the post, you would know I'm 21 now. Happy and healthy, thank God. This experience happened a long time ago and stopped a long time ago. Stop sending me Reddit care talking about suicide and crazy stuff like that just because you believe it's not possible doesn't mean me or others like me don't. And I'm honestly starting to regret posting my story. I would like to end this story on a couple notes here. 
want to apologize in case I mispronounced any of the words that were foreign. I'm very much an English speaker who has problems speaking English at times. So, whenever I do a foreign words, I always look them up and do my best to pronounce them to the, my best abilities. But I know I'm not perfect. Second of all, I wanted to say that I can understand wanting to check in to make sure someone's mentally okay. But just because you don't believe something never will give you the right to intrude into their lives and push your beliefs on them. As long as something's not hurting someone, let them be. It's that easy. And I thought I'd keep this update to kind of have a reason to bring this up. And lastly, I would like to thank the writer just because they were having some problems and they even still let me read this story. Staying anonymous and I completely get that. But thank you. That means a lot that you trust me to tell your story correctly. Now, let's continue with the stories. Men, plug your ears with wax, said Odysseus, and tie me to the mast that I might be the first man to hear the beauteous song of the sirens and live. Later, as the crew cut down their captain's body, wide-eyed terror frozen in his lifeless eyes, and cooling blood trickling from his ears, they knew that no man could. My Experience with Automatic Writing by Shepard O.K. 1448 it wasn't so much what was written, but what happened afterwards that terrified me. I'm not one to be scared easily. I love experimenting with all things occult magic, witchcraft, Gatora, aka Lesser Key of Solomon, Senesis, spiritual boards, tarot, numerology, and automatic writing, just to name a few things that I have experience in. I'll get to the Gatora story in another post one day. At this particular night, I sat at my desk with paper and what is called an automatic writer. I bought it from a seller on eBay a while back. The one I have is an antique made in the 1920s and supposedly belonged to a medium. It looks like an extra large planchette, only it has small wheels at the end of each foot and at the point there is a metal holder for a pen or a pencil to be used as the third leg. It's the same principle as the Ouija board. You ask a question and place your hand on the writer and wait. Like the Ouija board, sometimes it moves and sometimes it doesn't. You don't see what is written until the planchette stops. There are no spaces in between words, no capitals or punctuations that I have seen yet, but words are decipherable and legible. On this particular night, I didn't really have any questions that needed answering, so I just asked it what I needed to know. It wrote you several times, so I figured that nothing needed to be known nor needed answering. So I folded it up and put everything away, and didn't give it a second thought, just considering that session a bust. I see it as a form of denovation and less of a spirit communication. Well, I went to bed later that night, normally after some TV and later some reading like I normally do. I lay down to sleep, 
and it didn't take me long to fall asleep. I remember it being nice. You know the feeling as you drift off. You feel comfortable and peaceful. All thoughts start to quiet down as the world around begins to drift further and further away, along with all the cares and worries and stresses of living. A delightful, though short reprieve that didn't last. I was jolted awake two hours later feeling terrified. There was no explanation for this feeling. I don't remember a nightmare. In fact, I think it was a dreamless sleep. I was petrified. I could move. I wasn't suffering sleep paralysis, but I was afraid to move. The atmosphere in my room was so stifling. I just lay there expecting something to happen. Nothing did. Nothing happened to me, but as I lay there, I heard something fall and slide across the carpet. It wasn't dramatic or anything like that. It slid off whatever it was on and slid onto the carpet. I didn't understand why I was trembling with fear in my bed. No reason to be that scared. It was like I sensed something but didn't know exactly what I was sensing. I was like a rabbit sensing a predator, but not knowing where it was or when it will strike. I didn't get scratched or mysteriously bruised or anything so dramatic, but I was sweating and trembling. My teeth were chattering, like Shaggy and Scooby, but not so comical. The feeling of dread intensified as the night progressed, but somehow I got up the courage to reach up and turn on the light. The light hurt my eyes, but I looked around and didn't see anything. The fear started to dissipate a little as my body started calming down. It was enough to let me go back to sleep. So I slept with the light on from that night for several weeks. That's how long this fear lasted. I thought I was having some sort of psychosis. I was afraid to sleep in my own bed. I did with the lights on as if I was five all over again. It took several weeks for everything to go back to normal. That feeling of being watched, ever-present, made me sleep with the light on. Then it vanished. That feeling I was being watched finally left and I was able to sleep without light. I've thought about it and thought about it and I've never been able to come up with any conclusions. I never really thought it was due to the automatic writing session I did. But maybe... Due to ongoing efforts to eliminate illness, we regret to inform you that your household qualifies for mandatory euthanasia. The state can provide this service to you for a nominal processing fee, or you are free to select an alternative methodologies. Our house wasn't haunted, it was just visited by Here to Gossip. I grew up next door to a cemetery in a small town. The cemetery is very old, but people are still being buried there. 
There were definitely a lot of strange and unexplainable things that happened to us. My parents worked until 6 p.m., so my brother and I would get off the school bus between 3 and 3.30 and would be home alone. Every day we get off the bus, we wait until the bus left just standing at the end of the driveway. It was quiet. We casually walked into our house and go about our routine. On the other days, we hear voices coming from our backyard. It sounded like children laughing and playing, but there were no other houses nearby with kids. Our house was surrounded by cornfields and the cemetery next door. It always made me feel uneasy and nervous. My brother would act like it didn't bother him, but I know he felt it too. We stopped checking the yard for children and just ran inside after a while. There were no kids in the yard. It just sounded like it almost every afternoon. My brother's night terrors were getting worse. His screams would wake us all up in panic, thinking someone was hurt or worse. I asked him one day if he remembered what he dreamt about. He told me that he screamed just so he could move. He'd be paralyzed facing his closet, where his clothes would turn into bodies hanging from nooses. Always the same people, just hanging there and looking at him. Another Terry had, a man would appear in his bedroom door, walking to the window across the room and stand there before slowly vanishing. The man would reappear at the door and continue the cycle until my brother would scream himself out of it. Years later, I remember coming home late one night. My parents were out and my brother had all the lights on in the house, the TV on, music on, everything. I found him on the floor, trembling and crying. After I calmed him down, he told me that there was something in the basement. I looked over, and he had the door blocked with one of our dining room chairs. I told him to stay there. I'll check it out. I moved the chair. I opened the door and looked down the stairs and saw it, too. Out of the bottom of the stairs, there was what looked like a girl. She was on her hands and knees with her long hair covering her face. She was looking down at the floor, but facing the stairs. I was able to muster up, who is that, or something like that. And her head flipped. I mean, it flipped up. It was not human movement, and I didn't stand there long enough to get a good look at her face. I grabbed my brother and told him to get in my car. We left and didn't come back until we knew my parents were home. We never saw that one again but she has stuck with me. There is so much more, but who has time to read all that? My brother has blocked out everything that happened. He won't talk about our childhood ghosts. I learned later on the cemetery is having issues with new burials. The bodies have been shifting underground and the maps the town had are inaccurate. When they go to dig up a plot, sometimes there's already someone buried there. For a jest, I looked at my parents' house on Google Map, and our driveway sits right over the cemetery, according to the map. I got out of my car to drop off my $4 delivery, only to hear a vicious bark before being knocked to the ground by an extremely aggressive dog. My customer came out of their home, and upon seeing me under attack, they walked past me and grabbed my delivery bag before returning inside as their dog mauled me. 
Someone gave me some insight here on dreams slash not dreams. I would love another perspective. Bye, Nabin One. I apologize for the long post. I'm a Baptist minister, and this did happen. I know how I feel about all of this, but I want some outsider perspective here. My name is Nate, and I work at a factory in Virginia that uses a lot of temporary workers. So there's a constant rotation of people that cycle through. We have all kinds from all kinds of different walks. It was in 2011 or 2012 that I met a young couple that I will call Ben and Lisa. They were both younger, 20 to 21 years old, and they had moved here from New York. Lisa had lived with her father her whole life and he had found her mother online and reached out to her. They moved down to Virginia to both meet her mother and to leave behind some of the troubles they had gotten into in New York. Lisa was a practicing witch, and upon meeting her mother, found out that her mother and grandmother were both also involved with witchcraft. For reference, I'm a Baptist minister, and I always found a minute to bring up faith in conversation. Not an overly pushy way, but more of a general question. And if they wanted to talk more about it, that was fine. And if not, well, that was fine too. I wasn't going to be annoying about it. We were already stuck at work, and that is annoying enough for all of us. Men was interested, and over the course of the few months we worked, we had a few conversations about my beliefs, his beliefs, our backgrounds, and we became pretty good work friends. Lisa worked in another part of the plant, in a place where they had a lady who was a practicing witch, and there was some bad blood between the two. The other lady was someone that my wife grew up around, and she knew us pretty well, but we never fully trusted her. She had been in a relationship with my brother-in-law for a while, and treated him pretty horribly. I only bring her up because she plays a small part in what I'm about to share. I was up late washing the bottles for my son, who was a baby at the time. I let my wife go to bed, and I stayed up to take care of the bottles and get things ready for the next day. She kept the baby all day, so I figured that it was a fair trade to help her out with all that stuff. I finished about one in the morning, and I went to bed. I was asleep, almost asleep. I don't know, I felt something slide across the top of the blankets from my left foot to cross my body and came to rest on the right side of the bed beside my head. I heard a voice. It asked, what if you looked over and your wife wasn't your wife, but Jan, the other witchy lady at work? My response was a calm and peaceful, I would kill her. No idea why it was that extreme. <laughs> And in my sleep slash not sleep, I reached out and grabbed whatever was there, and I tried to strangle it. Then the thought crossed my mind. You're killing your wife, dummy. I woke up and still laying on my stomach, but all my muscles were tense. I was gritting my teeth, and I was uneasy. My wife was still alive, sleeping peacefully beside me, and I hadn't moved since I laid down. I shook it off and glanced at the clock. It was 1.30 a.m. I had to get up soon for work, so I went back to an uneventful sleep. 
The next morning at work, I was going to lunch when I saw Ben. He looked very rough, so I asked him if he was okay. He stopped and looked at me and waited for some people to pass by. And he told me he hadn't got much sleep last night. I asked him if he was sick because he sounded pretty hoarse. He pulled the collar down on his coat and showed me his neck. He had a very deep purple bruise on his throat. I asked him what happened and he told me the story. I was asleep in bed and something dragged me out of bed and tried to kill me last night. It was choking me to death and while it was my girlfriend said, I was growling and something was growling in the room. There was a voice in my head that said I had one week to leave the house or it would kill me. Lisa ran and got her mom and she left the room. It let go. I asked him about what time it was and his answer stopped me in my tracks. It was about 1.30 in the morning. When I told him that at 1.30 a.m. I was trying to kill something in my dream slash not dream by choking it to death. He was just as disturbed as I was. He asked what it meant, and I told him I didn't know. But if we had a chance to talk later, we should, and see what was up. About two hours later, I went and got him to help me do another job in the factory, and as soon as I asked him to come with me, I felt something I will never forget. It felt like something was standing right behind me, something evil. I was instantly nauseous and was chilled and felt feverish at the same time. My palms were sweaty, which hardly ever happens to me. It felt evil, wrong, like it did not like me speaking to Ben. As we worked trying to piece things together, his girlfriend kept coming out and she was acting super sketchy. She kept whispering in his ear and kept staring at me all weird. That evening, I went home with no answers, and it was done, until early Friday morning. I was in the kitchen washing bottles again. I was almost done when I had a visitor, in the dark kitchen lit by only crappy small fluorescent bulbs. I felt something slip behind me. It was that same exact thing that happened when I was at work. Breath on my neck feverish, chill, sweaty palms, and nausea. I chucked the bottle in the sink and told the spirit that it did not belong in my house, that this was a Christian home, and it had no place here. Then, as calm and cool as I could, I turned and walked as fast as I could to the bedroom without looking back. I said a prayer for Ben because the last time I felt the presence was when I was talking to him. I felt like he was in danger. I'm not sure what happened exactly, but I found out at work the next day, the previous night, Ben at around the same time decided to convert to Christianity. He said that whatever had been bothering him had left. I have no idea what any of this meant or what caused it. I have questions. If it was his girlfriend, maybe she didn't like the influence I was having and tried to stop it. Or if it was the other girl that my wife knew trying to cause the two of them, Ben and Lisa, issues and somehow I got dragged into the middle of it. I do know that it was more than a coincidence and whatever it was that caused it hasn't been back around. 
As I applauded the performer before me, I stepped onto the stage, but I felt their gaze burning into my skin and forgot the lines. I looked at the six heads on a stake of those who failed before me, while the crowd stared at me in silence. I saw a patient that didn't exist. Bye, you got me there. I was starting out of practice as a healthcare provider in a small private practice. Our practice had set up cameras to monitor the front desk, outside, hallways, for security and emergency reasons, as we are in a large metro area with moderate to high crime rate. So, utilizing ZocDoc, a booking software that's pretty popular in the US, I received an appointment request. The way these work is the software checks to see if there is a provider with an available slot and shows it to the patient on the other side, and they pick both the time and provider they would like to see given the options of time slots available. The patient then has to input insurance info, if insured, and the standard stuff like name, age, sex at birth, gender, etc. The first thing that seemed weird to me was the appointment request had no insurance listed, only a name, a private relay email, and a weird international number. For the sake of HIPAA, I will call this patient JD. HIPAA stands for the Health Insurance Portability and Accessibility Act of 1996. It's an American law. So the next red flag, the appointment is never confirmed via phone. It is during this confirmation call when we discuss showing up early to fill out forms and such. JD, however, shows up filling out their forms. As I read the chart, I notice they left certain fields blank, very important fields such as emergency contact, place of employment, job, maternal, and paternal history. Regardless, we proceed to go to the exam room. It's fairly normal workup or initial exam. Think of it as your annual physical, but without any abnormalities, which made me wonder why this person made an appointment in the first place. I mean, it's very weird that a person would come for the doctor's appointment without having at least one abnormality. During the workup, I did my usual banter. What do you do for work? Where are you from? Not because I'm trying to pry, but because I'm trying to show some decent bedside manner. They're pretty blunt in answering and seem quite annoyed about me asking the questions. But given the location and where the practice was, I was not taken aback that much. It was weird, however, that while I was asking the question and they were agitated, me being in autopilot mode at this point, decided to take their blood pressure. Typically, when you're agitated or flustered, hell, even when you're talking, your blood pressure spikes. There was no such spike in their blood pressure, and as a matter of fact, it was low. Not so low to be dangerous, but low enough for it to be clinically relevant. I asked about it. Yeah, that's normal for me, they said while staring directly into my eyes. I will say, I was confused about the lack of accent this individual had. It seemed pretty standard for that country where this international number was from. There were no distinctive markings or features other than the person's height, 
which is well above the average for either sex. We're not talking Shaq or Lisa Leslie height, but listen, I'm 6'3", and when I say someone is tall, they are tall. Another thing I would like to say, the patient never, and I mean not once, broke eye contact with me. I was not used to being a new practitioner, and being in such a small room with such a close proximity, it made me feel uneasy to say the least. After the exam, I made a few recommendations regarding the low blood pressure and suggested a follow-up. The appointment ended, so they gathered their things and walked to the front desk. They paid in cash and made no follow-up appointment. The day was pretty busy at this point in time, so I wasn't able to do the notes right then and there, but the appointment stuck with me. So at the end of the day, I sat down to do my notes and noticed that JD was not in my note tally, so I checked the EMR, electronic health record software, where we do our notes. Thinking that the front desk might have forgotten to put them in since it's a cash note. Side note, these notes tend to not be as pressing to small practices as they do not need to be submitted to the insurance company for reimbursement. The appointment was not there. I then decided to check the booking software to pull their info and build their profile, which was not in the EHR either, so that I could do the note. The appointment was in the booking software earlier. At this point, I was extremely confused. Was I going crazy? I asked the front desk staff what happened. They said they didn't know what or who I was referring to. To their credit, we had seen over 50 people collectively between all the practitioners that day, so I let it slide. I somehow did the note and did not add any info other than one told to me by the patient in the room during the exam, and I made note of the international number but couldn't remember the code for whatever reason. I have a really good memory, so that was odd for me. Flash forward to two to three days later. I was still thinking about the situation. I remember the cameras. I told the front desk to look at the video for me. To my astonishment, there they were clear as day. JD talking to me in the hallway in full view of the camera and checking out slash paying at the front desk, with the staff writing down the transaction on both the cash ledger and the digital ledger on our software. Needless to say, all three of us were terrified and confused because the patient showed up on two different cameras, but also in order to make a payment, you need to have a profile created in EHR, which wasn't the case because I went to do the notes, the profile was not there. The staff is young, so they did some snooping, as young people do, and found no records of anything or anybody by what we thought or remembered was JD's name. We called the booking software company, and nobody had even made an appointment for that day, at least under my profile. What's more is that neither of the EHR nor the booking software had any logs of creating or deleting any counts on that day, which is something that is done for legal reasons, i.e. you need to show somebody that the patient was in or has been a patient in your practice. So, still after five years, this person has never showed up. We don't know who JD is or if they even exist. 
I mentioned this on Reddit, and theories have come up. Maybe it was an entity. Maybe it was somebody trying to keep their identity secret and then hacked our computer systems. Some people have suggested aliens, but I don't think E.T. needs to get a physical on Earth. I'm convinced, and so is the front desk staff, that we saw a patient that didn't exist. For this and other reasons, I have since left the practice, and the question of who or what J.D. was remains unsolved. Truthfully, it was out of sight, out of mind situation. A week or so ago, I came back to my apartment from work. I received a mysterious package. I always get an email preview of what is to come in the mail, so this was odd. Hmm, it happens, I thought to myself. There was no return address, nor my home address, just a simple brown envelope with my name written on it. Hesitantly, I opened it and found a single photograph inside. It was a picture of J.D. sitting in the waiting room of the old practice. On the back of the photo, a cryptic message was written, Thank you for your care. As a politician, I work myself hard for the people, pushing through important environmental and workers' right laws. But I always take time to read the newspaper before work to relax. So, when I read the headline that I had been shot in my own home, I wasn't surprised for long. Back before my husband was deployed, he made it very clear that he did not want to be kept alive if he was ever to return in a vegetative or quadriplegic state, and I promised to honor his wishes. It hurts to see that desperate, burning resentment in his eyes every time I look at him. But I'm definitely not about to give up the financial aid package I received for providing an in-home care to a disabled veteran. The Second Room in the Basement by Highest Bounty I never really had any reason to be truly scared. Looking back, there isn't one experience I can think of that truly terrified me. I've jumped countless times, from sudden loud noises or catching something moving in my peripheral vision. I can't recall ever fully screaming or shouting, but maybe that's because I'm not a very outspoken person anyway. I would rather mask my feelings from others. I lost my eldest daughter once. She was two and we were in B&Q, a hardware store. They have model bathrooms and kitchens. There I am admiring some taps or tiles or whatever it was. I turn around to the shower that she was messing in and poof, gone. That was terrifying, but I wasn't scared, more fanatic. Full disclosure, I found her taking a dump on one of the display toilets. Not my proudest moment having to tell the employees they have to clean up in aisle 6. And side note from 242, that's part of the reason they don't have toilets really on the floor anymore. Your child is not the only one who's done it, and sadly adults have as well. 
So don't feel so bad about it. Anyway, so I haven't even really been terrified, except once. It happened back when I was 17. I left school that summer and had six weeks before starting college. It was baking hot in the small rural town that I lived in. Situated pretty much in the middle of England, it's an old cold mining town, and a bit of British history here. All the mines were closed down, which decimated both the economy and job opportunities of the small pit towns throughout the country. Back to my town. If you're old enough, or at least look old enough, you spend your time in the local pubs. If you're not, you have nothing else to do but roam the streets seeking your own entertainment. Me and my friends were the latter. On the main road through the town, away from the other houses, stood a dilapidated house known as the O'Briens. A four-story, six-bedroom mansion compared to all the other houses in town. There was an old couple who lived there who, at this point, had passed away some years prior, called, you guessed it, the O'Briens. They had two daughters had moved abroad and had never claimed the house, so it just sat for years, building up dust and rotting away. A perfect opportunity for somewhere cool, private, and exciting for six teenagers to hang out. The house had a ridiculously big back garden, which was equally ridiculously overgrown. It literally took us a good part of a day to stomp down a pathway through the needles and brush. Once through, there was a garage that we could drop down onto, which we pulled up the roof to gain access. We spent nearly all summer in that house, hanging out, graffitiing the walls, drinking, smoking, you name it. But there was one room that eluded us. From the garage, you headed through a kitchen, which now only consisted of broken windows that had been boarded up, and a damaged set of cabinets on the back wall. You then stepped into a hallway, which looked right through to the front door, with a bathroom and two other large rooms on the left-hand side. On the right were the stairs to the second floor. The staircase was built against a wall and had wooden planks running vertically. Directly opposite the kitchen door, built into the back of the staircase, was a large metal door that had been painted white. The paint was now a sickly yellow, dusty color and flaky. The door was locked. It simply wouldn't budge. And looking at the hinges, it opened inwards. The house was big enough that we kind of forgot about the locked door. We spent most of the days up in the two rooms on the third floor, away from the road outside to avoid any passerbys hearing us and phoning the cops. That was until one of the lads decided, for no apparent reason, to light the moth-ridden curtain on fire with a zippo he had been messing with. The curtain, dust-covered carpet, and old crackling wallpaper went up in seconds. We only made it out by smashing the top window and jumping onto the dirt mound at the side of the garage. I think if adrenaline hadn't been coursing through us, that would have been one hell of a painful fall. We hid in some bushes over the road and watched the fire engine put out the flames, but before it could, it had engulfed the second and third floor. 
The second was still usable once we got the courage to re-enter the house, but the third was gone. Just like the outer walls and what was left of the roof. Shame, really. We were confined to the bottom floor. The garage was too dark to see in and only had an old table we found that you normally use to paste on wallpaper. We used it to get in and out of the roof. The kitchen wasn't much brighter, and the front room had a big window that overlooked the footpath and road outside, so that left us a small, bleak back room to chill in, which got boring very quickly. Boredom leads to curiosity, and I noticed that one of the wooden planks on the side of the stairs was loosened, and that there was an open space behind it. Finally, we could see what was behind that metal door. What a mistake that was. They say curiosity killed the cat, but in this instance, it questioned my whole belief. The wooden panels were surprisingly hard to pull off, even for six fairly athletic teenagers. So he went out scouting and brought back a few torches, flashlights, and a crowbar. It was still a slog, but we finally managed to remove two and a half of the panels. Shining the light into the hole revealed another staircase that led downwards. Yet it looked as though it was decades older than the rest of the house. Cobwebs engulfed every surface, and the stench of musk and damp attacked your nostrils if you got anywhere near the hole. After some giddy behavior, some pushed and shoved, and a game of six-man rock-paper-scissors, I grabbed a torch and slowly stuck my head through the hole. The room was darker than dark, so dark that the beam from the torch could be seen cutting through the blackness. I shone it down the staircase first. It went down deep. The hole we had made was maybe four or five steps from the door, and there was at least 25 below it. At the bottom, a wall and a doorway to the left. I swung the torch to the right towards the metal door, not expecting to see what I saw at all. The door was definitely locked, tight, with three separate dead locks that ran down the side, all barred. But what caught me by surprise was on the small lip of the top step, pushed firmly against the door, was a really outdated fridge. The one that were square and about waist height. I told the lads that stood behind me and they laughed, thinking I was joking. One by one, they stuck their head in the hole, checking out the bottom stairs and then the fridge. Each one as confused as myself. I remember sitting down, smoking a cigarette, and debating how and why it would be there. The door clearly opened inwards, which meant the door must have been locked from the inside. Then somehow the fridge put up against it from the inside. We spent the rest of the day checking the garage and surrounding area of the house for a trap door or another entrance slash exit to the cellar but couldn't find anything. We put it down to the sheer size and state of the garden and went home. The next few visits to the house was us trying to decide who would enter the cellar first. No one wanted to, and no matter how many games of rock, paper, scissors we played, 
it was always best out of the highest number. Until one day, I had enough. We sat in a circle in the other room, messing with stuff and just generally chatting. Except me. I just sat and stared at this hole, this dark void in the wall. Finally, I got up, exclaimed my intentions, took a torch from my pocket, and stepped inside. Everyone else quickly and very excitedly followed. Immediately, the first few layers of the wooden steps just disintegrated under my feet. They turned into a mulch of damp splinters that clung to the soles of my shoes when I lifted my foot. It was worrying, but the stairs seemed sturdy enough. Each step I took downstairs, the temperature dropped rapidly, and the air seemed to get thicker and thicker. The inches of dust that I kicked up didn't help also. Admittedly, I was a little scared, but I had five other lads behind me, so it was impossible to turn tail now. I headed down and reached the second to last step. I could see the doorway which led to the open room. Pausing, I regained my courage with a few shaky deep breaths and stepped through. The room was in a worse state than the stairs. Webs littered the rafters and floorboards above like moss. They hung from the ceiling in clumps, all tarnished with dust. Weirdly, thinking about it now. We never saw any spiders, though. The floor was carpeted in a layer of debris from the rotted wood above, dust and dirt. It was a miracle none of us fell through that floor above. This place was a mess. The room was huge, expanding underneath the bathroom and both rooms on the first floor. And it was dark. There was no light source other than the torches the three of us were now carrying. The room stood empty, except for the wooden table smack bang in the middle. No chairs, nothing around it. But on it stood a metal plate cruelly bashed into shape, with the remnants of black goo on it. Next to the plate stood a tall, uncorked green bottle. One of the boys went over to it and picked it up. It sloshed as he did so, with a liquid of deep round and layers of dirt inside. I never smelled it, but apparently it was putrid. At first, we didn't see the other doorway. It was in the corner directly opposite to the one we had entered. No door, just darkness. We tried to shine our torches through it, but they didn't seem to cut through the shadows. It was like there was actually a door there one that drained the torchlight. For some reason, I didn't muster the courage to go into that room, and neither did anyone else. We simply turned and left, feeling like we had enough venture for the day. Over the next week or so, we invited girls and other friends to the house, but all refused to enter the basement. We found this hilarious, and would dare one another more to show off than anything to go down there either on their own or in pairs, without a flashlight, and see how long they could stay down there. Now, not once did I get scared while I stood in complete darkness down there. It was kind of calming. 
but none of us ever got the courage to enter the other room. In hindsight, we should have questioned more why the door was metal, or why it was locked from the inside, and how the fridge got up the stairs and placed in front of the door as a barrier from the inside also. But, full of excitement and immaturity, it never crossed our minds. We just assumed that there would be some sort of other exit in the other room which led to the garden. Word quickly went round through the year groups of the old Brine's basement, and we definitely fed the rumors of it being haunted. Teenagers would ask us how to get into the house and for us to show them the barricade door slash basement. So, because we thought we were cool, we spent another day making a maze in the garden, squashing pathways down that led away from the garage. We would then invite people into the house, leading them through the garden into the garage and showing them the hole in the stairs. It got quite popular, and we decided to cash in on the opportunity. We told people if they wanted to see the basement, they would have to do the initiation. As they came in, we would have one person sat on the fridge and another at the bottom of the stairs, both with torches, and send the person into the first room, telling them they had to stay in there for 10 minutes, with the torches turned off, and then we would let them out. This went on for a while, and it was fun at first. A lot of people were bolted as soon as the torches were turned off, but some stayed. We cheered them back up the stairs when they completed it. It was a cheesy little ritual we created, but still, everyone refused to go into the other room. When questioned, they just said they didn't feel comfortable until my little brother and his friend came. They were two years younger than us and initially refused to let anyone who wasn't our age into the house. We were there all the time, and there were six of us in the friend group, so it was pretty easy to deter people away if they managed to find the entrance at the garage. But after constant pestering and the initial curiosity of the others dwindling, we decided to invite them along. We made a big deal out of it. Taking them to the dilapidated fence at the back of the garden and tying their jumpers around their faces as we led them blindly through the maze of shrubbery and thorns to the garage. It was a decent draw from the hole in the roof, and even though my brother managed it, his friend had to be lowered down by his arms. Once inside, they were met with the stench of smoke that lingered from the floors above. We walked them through the kitchen and showed them to the makeshift entrance to the basement. We told them the story of the metal door and how it didn't make sense it gave them the option of staying in the first room in pitch black for 10 minutes or going to the second room in pitch black for 5 minutes, an offer a lot of people initially picked until they got down the staircase. Second room, they said in unison. We all laughed, expecting them to change their minds immediately. One of the lads slipped through the hole in the wooden boards and turned right, hanging up the stairs and positioning himself on the fridge. I went through next and positioned myself at the foot of the stairs. I'd just like to say, at this point, all of us regulars felt completely comfortable going down to the bottom of the stairs practically alone. We all taken it in turns when bringing people down here, and had done it numerous times each, so this time was no different. 
There was a giddy, nervous atmosphere when the two youngest entered the staircases. The torches we used were cheap ones, and we'd gotten them from the market, so they cast an eerie yellow glow. Slowly, my brother and his friend made it down the stairs, clearly attempting to show face and act unmoved by the state of the rot, decaying wood around them. But as they trenched through the mulch, they stuck close together. They took their time, so much so that the guy at the top shouted from them to hurry, and both nearly shit their pants. When they finally got to me, I told them that this was the first room, shined the torch around the room through the doorway, and that they were going to go into the next one, aim my beam through the darkness to the frame on the other door. The room was a decent size, and as I stayed, the torches were cheap, but I remember taking notes that the beam that cut through the first room never seemed to illuminate the second room at all, as if there was an object obscuring its path. My brother's friend walked into the room, and as my brother walked past me, I grabbed his shoulder and told him that he didn't have to do this, and if he did, then he could come out whenever. With a nod and a dismissive wave, he followed his friend. They crossed the room, passed the table, and disappeared through the second doorway, as if they were walking through a dark stage curtain. I hit the button on my case on watch and started the countdown for five minutes. I then aimed the beam of my torch up the staircase. The guy sitting on the fridge smiled excitedly and looked at his watch. I really need to piss, dude. I'll be right back, he said, jumping down and disappearing back through the gap. I stood at the bottom of those steps for what seemed like forever. I could hear faint giggles from across the first room. They seemed muffled, as if hearing voices from behind a door. How long left? My brother voice shouted. Three and a half minutes, I replied, checking my watch. Now, in the basement, despite it obviously being underground, there was never an uncomfortable temperature. It was colder than upstairs, but had no bite. There was never a chill, and, while being down there countless amount of times, not once had any of us felt any sort of breeze. But, and this memory still haunts me a little, especially when there is a suddenly shift in temperature, I noticed that I became very cold stood at the bottom of the stairs to the point where I could see my breath when I checked the time against the light on my watch face. The mumbles from the other room had stopped also. I tried to focus on them, see if I could hear any movement or the nervous noises they had been making before, but nothing. I remember getting freaked out. I don't know what about, but I could feel my heart beating faster. The hairs on my arms and the back of my neck stood on end. I turned on the torch and stepped into the first room. Yo, you guys alright? I called out. Nothing. No reply. Oh, stop fucking about. Time's up. I called again. And again. No reply. I shone the torch through the doorway of the second room, but just like before... It was as if the beam cut through the first room and then stopped that doorway. I crept closer, calling my brother's name, but he never replied. Then, 
as clear as day, so loud it hurt my ears after the silence. A voice, deep, brash, and distorted, as if the sound had been twisted, bellowed. Leave now! I froze on the spot, eyes fixated on the doorway. Then, emerging from the gloom, ran my brother and his friend, both as white as snow, both with tears and snot streaming down their faces. The look of pure terror on their face is something I have never been able to get rid of. They bolted straight past me, which snapped me out of my trance and I followed suit. Before we could reach the doorway to the stairs, the sound of crashing came from the stairway. Four ridiculously loud bangs, the noise of snapping wood. The fridge was embedded into the wall at the bottom of the staircase. Without stopping, we all scrambled over it. The staircase itself was completely a mess. Large splinters of wood stuck up like spikes. Luckily, I don't know how. We managed to climb up on our hands and feet without injury. Halfway up, I looked towards the hole in the wall, praying it would be in reaching distance. Both the young lads were in front of me, both sobbing and screaming. Both ran straight past the hole in the wall, the metal door locked before and with no key, we looked everywhere for it, stood open. Light from the garage exit spilled through the kitchen and down into the basement, as if it's showing us the quickest way out. Instinct had set in by this point, and all three of us darted through the door, onto the table, and up through the garage. My brother's friend, too small to get down on his own, managed to get out without help. We ran through the garden maze. At some point, I had to grab hold of my brother to stop him from going down one of the many dead ends we had created, and, without word, took the lead. We raced to the fence, squeezed through the hole, and collapsed on the field behind the property. I looked around, and there, also sat on the grass, staring at the three of us, was everyone else who had been in the house. No one said a word. Everyone looked as scared as each other, except for the two younger boys. They wept for a long time, actually, as we all just sat there in silence and let them do it. Once they had stopped, we got up without a word and went home. My brother said nothing to me on the way, or when we got back. He went into his room, and I went into mine, and that was the end of that. No one went into that house again. It stood there for a year or two, then was demolished. Apparently one of the daughters had finally come over and claimed the land, only to sell it to some new building project. Now, a group of houses sit where the garden house were. Nice-looking houses, to be fair. My brother still refuses to walk past that estate. They never built on the land directly above the cellar. Apparently, I've never actually had this confirmed, but the builders refused to fill the cellar in for some reason. Just bricked it up and left it open space despite being able to fit a perfectly good house on there. We only brought it up once within the friend group, and only because I convinced myself that it had to be one of them that opened the door somehow and moved the fridge. But they all swore it wasn't. 
They said that as soon as it started getting really cold in the house, they got spooked. They heard the voice and heard the kitchen. Noticed the door was open when they heard the loud bang and bolted. I tried asking my brother about the room, but he completely shut down when I did. He quickly stopped being friends with the kid that went down with him. Said they no longer had anything relevant to talk about. The picture shows the house after the fire. You can see the smashed window from the fire brigade and the black from the smoke around the top windows. The garage is behind, can't see it in the photo. The other photo is of cleared land and the last picture of the new build with the oblivious patch of grass where the basement would be. Owning a chimpanzee is a lot more expensive than I thought it would be. I spent 200 a month on food, 500 on toys, and 450,000 on facial reconstruction surgery. And with that, our time together was coming to an end. Thank you to all the users who let me read their stories, and thank you if you got this far. Remember, if you're on a platform that you can, leave me a review and comment. I know not many let you do that, sadly, but it does help a lot. If you'd like to help in other ways, I do have Patreon. Where you can join and it's only a dollar a month. If you'd like to do a one-time donation, I also have PayPal and Buy Me a Coffee. All the links, including the ones to my social media and website, are in the show notes. I hope you guys have a great evening. Sleep tight, and don't let 42 bite.